With a bow, the herald opened the door to the emperor's private quarters, and Balthazar Gelt passed within. It was a room of magnificent opulence, the wizard noted, though he doubted the occupant had eyes for any of it. The emperor paced back and forth across the center of the room, the rhythmic thud of his footfalls broken only by the quiet swish of a fabric as he spun on his heels to retrace his steps. This is a time of dark whispers. Carl Franz began without preamble as the wizard approached. But the rumor is repeated so often and so loudly that I have little choice but to ask you about it directly. The emperor stopped pacing and fixed Gelt with a piercing stare. Does the cage around Sylvania yet hold? The question took Gelt by surprise. His mind had been fixed entirely on the challenges in the north. The fate of the vampire-haunted land banished to the past, where the wizard had thought it belonged. I never described my works thus, Majesty, Gelt objected, as evenly as he could. In fact, I would remind His Majesty that the Wall of Faith was only ever intended as a transient measure, and indeed a desperate one forced upon us all after Volkmar's precipitate action. If he'd warned me of his intention to break Sylvania, perhaps... Carl Franz waved his hand to silence the wizard, and the significance of the gesture did not escape Gelt. Just how dark were the days when even the greatest statesman of Reichland was losing his composure. Please, Patriarch, said the Emperor. You cover ground well trodden. I would also remind you that, by his death, Volkmar paid for whatever errors in judgment he might have made. It does not please me to hear his name dishonored in my presence. Thus were the dead absolved of blame, whilst the living were chivied for every lapse, thought Gelt, glad that the golden mask hid his bitterness. Welcome to the Garage U Tools. For the next three hours or thereabouts, we're going to do the best we can to inform, entertain, and perhaps have a laugh or two along the way, bringing you Nagash Gelt, and if we're lucky, Greg Dan. I'm Chris U. And I'm Tor Johnson. Ten o'clock. Time for going Time to bed. Time for going to bed. <laughs> how you doing partner i'm fantastic how about yourself i'm hanging in there and how are you greg i'm chris tomlin <laughs> smashing yeah I've, I've literally he's chris tomlin blimey old chap he's literally you know i gotta say uh tomlin was a, a great guest he offered some good insight and uh um, say i'm not no, you are in, your, in a class of your own, Greg. You're one of us, actually. You are a foreign correspondent. You're a, you're a host of the show. You're just not on all the time. You're a chief tool, just like us. Yeah. No, Tom was good. Tom was good. We got a lot of good feedback. He really and enjoys... Uh, new, Dave. Pardon? And swore a lot less than you. <laughs> this is true. Uh, will be no Greg is a dick to our last episode. Yeah, I will be, edit that uh, out. Okay, there we go. Okay. I'm, I'm going to cut that out. Don't worry about that. That's not even going to make it to the show. There'll be no shortage of dwarfs in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's going to get edited too. There will be a definite shortage of dwarfs, especially since they didn't actually make it in the chapter four. Is that what a group of dwarfs is called? A shortage? Yeah. yeah. No. Nice. Very oh, nice. My goodness. Impish gnomes rear their ugly heads. <laughs> anyway. Yes. All right, so uh, before we do get rolling here, guys, and um, as 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 we did last episode, we're going to be skipping all of our usual um, segments and jump right into this here fluff. Uh, but before we do that, we should be thanking our sponsors. As always, we need to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Unique Gifts and Games, located in where? Gray's Lake, Illinois. Mirce Miniatures. And Greg, how is Mirce spelled? M I E R C E 
Very good. Mantic yeah. Games. Building bigger armies. And I'll let whoever take this one. And Battle Foam. Protecting your... Uh, I thought we were doing it together. <laughs> Let's try him. <clears throat> all right, all right, all right, ready? Okay. And and Battle Foam. Protecting your... Army. Yeah. Wow. That was weird. It started off with Greg, and it was all David, and then I think it ended with Greg. Yeah. Well, could, Greg, try that again, because it just, like, cut out on the mic. Did it? Yeah. <clears throat> right. All right. Wow. I'll, I'll, I'll lead you in again. And Battle Foam. Protecting your... Army. Oh, well, no wonder it sounded like that. Gee whiz. <laughs> Is that, that right? It was all Greg. That's crazy. Well, I didn't even try it that time. I just let him go for it. I'm not too sure I could do that too many more times with my throat. Yeah, I was going to oh, say, yeah. that's true, why. True. It's all good. I, I'll turn the mic off when I need to cough or whatever. <laughs> Podcasting pro. Well, you know, we got a lot of very good feedback on the last episode, and some people coming in with some, uh, some interesting theories on uh, mm. different things. Um. Especially with uh, Techless and Tyrion and stuff. Uh, did you see any of those those things, Chris? Uh, I saw some, but I don't want to steal your thunder. So oh, why don't you right, like my this? thunder? <laughs> um, no, someone just had a really interesting theory that he was planning all of this so that Malekith could be the one to pull the sword of Anarian to do the fighting, so that he could be the one to die, so that he oh, could actually yeah. save Tyrion's life, not set him up. He's got to play this part. Hmm. So that he could set up Tyrion and save him and actually make him be the one uh, who, who survives this and can become the next Phoenix King. Interesting. I, I don't think I saw that, but that is a very compelling theory. Talk about playing the super long game and making Malekith sort of the expendable one here. Right, and give him what he wants and let it, let it basically devour him. So I, I was, it was, you know, we got a couple of them, but that was the one that really just sort of stuck out to me as like, I was like, ooh. Yeah. I think my main thought is whether the sword gets pulled or not. It's, it's a definite acting against the chaos gods and drawing it all together. And I think the main thing Teclis had with the main schism is the fact that Teclis is having to sacrifice Tyrion's daughter to do it all. And that's bad enough. I mean, that's, you know, we, we, we've seen in the book and you've seen in novels that, you know, they can really fight like brothers. So if that gets pushed too far, you know what brothers are like when they hate each other. Yeah. You know, yeah. Teclis will be, Tyrion will be after Teclis if he, if he knew. I wonder if Tyrion will, when it's all said and done, will be able to see the big picture and see past the sacrifice of his daughter and realize it's for the greater good. I, I doubt that will happen, but... Malekith will pull the sword, save the day, die doing it. Tyrion will find out. In a rage, he'll kill Teclis, which will make him in, ineligible to become the Phoenix King, and the entire elf race will be doomed and die off. And then we'll just be left with the dwarfs. There you go. That's the end. Oh, then we're really uh, in the end times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Maybe, maybe. There's, <laughs> all sorts of stuff that can happen. Um, okay, so what else? Was there anything else that you guys thought of or any, anything that um, afterwards? My one thing is more relating to the game. There's been a lot of chat about so-and-so's dead. Brilliant. What does this mean for the next book? 
the next army book to come out for that race and whatever. Um, and it just, I know I've said it a lot of times and it's a bit of one, it's a weird saying, but the Warhammer is a setting rather than a story. And there are lots of stories told in, you know, this is one story to be told in the Warhammer setting. Um, you've already got in army books, people like Marius Leetdorf, Vlad von Karstein, who technically at the time of the book was released at the end of that timeline were dead and aren't in the game. Yeah, Vlad and Isabella are way gone by the time the, yeah. uh, this book came out. Yeah, yeah, you've got two versions of Manfred, so it shows him in two different times. Yeah, I say Marius Leetdorf's dead, a number of other people are actually dead. So just because someone's died, and, and let's face it, some of these people who have gone missing might not be dead. It's a classic trope to bring out. Um, <clears throat> you know, when you haven't seen a body, it doesn't matter who, if they're the king of Bretonia or some grumpy old dwarf with a, you know, anvil, until you see a, a headless body, there's always that chance. And they're most of the time headless in this game. That's yeah, that's the absolutely. proof. Um, yeah. So, you know, A, they might, there are some that might not be dead, and B, just because someone might be dead doesn't mean they're not going to be in the next book. So, you because, know. yeah, you could play this from any time, like, you know. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like it's like if anyone's played role playing games, they give you the whole scope to play a game in, and you choose where and how to play that game. And Warhammer actually works like that. So you know, because you can have, I say, you can have um, Vlad versus you know whoever Carl Franz, and that actually only you know did they meet? You know, were the times kind of the same? And that can go for a lot of different things. So that's that's a good point. The only thing is, though, this is the first time that I recall that in the writing that there's such f- finality in terms of, you know, Altharian is dead and this person yeah. is dead. You know, yeah, absolutely, and and that does call call for um, quite a bit of you know different chat. And I was I was looking through, and I think because I was beginning to think that almost all the people they killed had old models, like Altharian. And mm-hmm. yeah, a few of the others were quite old models, and then there was, I think, Apophis. A um, we'll come to it later, and uh, they did a new one for Volkmar, didn't they? So it kind of, kind of skewed that thinking. But who knows? Who knows? At the end of the day, they've got a lot of char- it's a lot of character models they'd have to replace, and some of them are still quite good. So <clears throat> it's true. It doesn't necessarily make great business sense to suddenly say, "Oh, this character who we've just done three, four years ago is now dead." When you know you can't use him anymore as that character, that's not really a. Yeah, I don't think that's what they're going for. So, whether as I say, so just because someone's dead in here doesn't mean we won't see them in some form in the game. That was my only my only thing. This is true. I would agree. You know, one thing that uh, we were talking about off air were the nine godly vessels, uh, a handful of which are described in the reading. But uh, Greg, you mentioned that you have all nine from the books that you've, I guess the black library books. Right. Yeah. The, the Nagash um, novel that came out alongside the book covers the first three chapters. It ends with the birth of Nagash or rebirth of Nagash. Um, and it follows the main storyline follows some of the vampires that are in, uh, Manfred's kind of court, um, but also a little bit of um, the keep Heldenheim. There's a little bit of the, the Imperial soldiers set there, so you do get not not a 
great amount of background because there's quite a lot of characters in it, but you do get a bit more background of what's going on around um, around the, the main instances. So you were talking in the first episode the the three prophetesses at the uh, the battle for Le um, Maisontel mm-hmm. didn't seem to do a lot. They were there, and then they died. Yeah, pretty quick. Yeah. In the book, you know, they were there causing major issues in terms of how much was being raised. And it was dealing with them that Kemla shook off the shackles of death magic and fully embraced chaos magic and went kablammy. Mm-hmm. And, and then Arkan's gone, oh, so that was his beef. Right. And mm. it, yeah, at that point he's realized, right, that wasn't, that wasn't normal Kemla. Because he's been a bit suspicious already. So you've got that. You've got um, a scene in the dungeon with the nine captives, um, Blaze and Volkmar and Morgiana, who'd been turned. And uh, um, there was a priest of Moor, and I can't remember, I haven't got the book right on me. And you know, they're not, none. I don't think many of them are you know, particularly important characters, but they had those names, a little bit more info. Okay. It's quite cool. <clears throat> And Gorman, who appears, I think it's Gorman, the. Uh, oh, the he was the, uh, the 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 primarch of the colleges. He, yeah, the, the one, guy? the one that Gelt beat. In um, and we'll go on to when we talk about because there's a little saying in here. There's a little line in the first bit that um, he went missing. Gorman went missing, who was one mm. of Gelt's biggest kind of like rivals. Yeah, and he'd been talking about because he'd been at Heldenheim. Uh, defending Heldenheim and um, they were talking about Gelt you know they're they're dead aren't supposed to be here and they were like well no one was ever too sure about Gelt to start with there are rumours he cheated in his battle to become uh, the patriarch Mm. which is a magic and there's you know there's been whisperings and the story isn't quite told in that book but there's a lot of like little hints and things that Gelt may have cut corners a number of times and done little things. And it seems so he, that way. In the uh, the Empire book, his description talks about how he paid for his passage to the Empire uh, via ship with some gold, but he, he managed to disappear before that gold turned back into lead. Right, okay, yeah. Yeah, so it's just it, um, the novel adds to more of that kind of thing. You talked about Manfred um, and the way he responded to challenges and other people and actually you see in the novel that there's a voice in his head through the whole book and he believes it to be vlad um who like who's like haunting him almost you're talking so, about guilt here and i'm talking about manfred now oh, sorry manfred. Okay. manfred so the novels just give you like when when you start to look at what Manfred does with the voice of Vlad whispering into his head, oh, you used to be, you used to do this kind of thing. Why aren't you doing that anymore? Mm-hmm. You know, that starts to put a, an interesting view on what he does. Um, and actually, one of the other big things was Arkan right from the start when he met Manfred. It's like, oh, you think you're, um, you think you're a free agent, do you? All oh, right, okay. You seem to forget that we're all made of Nagash, and we've all been rebirthed. Thank, partly thanks to Nagash. So we're all, in essence, part of Nagash. How much free will do any of us have? Things like that. <clears throat> just say they just put little skews on it and, and feed in little bits of information. So I'm, look, I'm quite looking forward to the ones that follow up because obviously it only did three chapters of this book so far. So. 
Interesting. Okay. Well, I think it'll be good to have your uh, input, given that you've done some uh, deeper reading uh, through the Nagash book and, and whatnot. Um, yeah, so it should be good. All right. Um, why don't we take a break real quick before diving into Chapter 4? And when we get back, we'll be uh, right into the book. Sounds good. All right, cool. That's right, folks. Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chessex Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. Well, welcome back. I think it's time we get into Chapter Four Dark Tides. Yes, the summer of 24 to the summer of 25. One full year. Um, okay, so now Nagash has risen, and uh, we're uh, backing up the timeline just a little bit to right before it happens and what's going on elsewhere. Um, I found this to be a really exciting chapter. I really... I did, too. Um and Empire characters typically haven't gripped me, but this one was very, very interesting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there was, there was a, I mean, and I kind of knew what was going to happen. I mean, you know that these legions of chaos are going to sweep down through this area. Um, but it's always just sort of they swept through. There was the huge battles at Kislev, and and they're trying to hold out there, and they 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 just you know totally pulled it out from under us by saying, oh yeah, no, that's gone. Just like they swept right through there, so you're already on on a wrong foot, and then um, and then now they've got this battle going on, and uh, you're just really sort of building up and, and showing you. I, I love just this this sort of desperation of what's going on here. It's like they keep telling you how these these numberless armies are rolling through, and uh, you know the, the empire is scrambling to put together what it can. You're like, oh, this is so bad. This is so bad. It makes you wonder how they keep up in terms of just sheer manpower against all of the all these undead raising up all over the place. Well, and luckily they weren't fighting like un- crazy. Yeah. <laughs> luckily they weren't fighting the undead here. They yeah, they got to they they just they just had to fight the hordes and hordes and hordes of demons and chaos, which is probably just as bad. Mm. But um, okay, so let's jump into this. Let's see. Hold on. Boop, boop, boop. Bring that up. There it is. Okay, so like you said before, Kislev is destroyed. Only Erengrend remains uh, of these cities, and that is thanks to Valmir von Rakov, the Elector Count of Ostland. Um, he managed to hold this one city. Um, they, they, there is a rumor that Ice Queen Katarin is still alive. 
Now, I read that, and I wasn't very familiar with her character. Is any is there any additional background that exists about uh, her? There used to be a like a pamphlet sized army list for Kislev, and she used to have ice magic, which I think Yetis used ah. to be immune to. Um, but yeah, it's ne- not a huge amount written, to be honest. Um, apart, as far as I can recall, apart from that. Okay. Yeah, that's... The odd Black Library book does move into Kislev, but not, not a great deal. Yeah, That's all I knew about her, because I remember reading the stuff about the Yetis being immune to ice magic and like pressing Christopher for information. He's like, listen, they used to have ice. I'm like, ice magic was one of the lures? He's like, no, no. If you played Kislev stuff, they had their own special ice magic. I'm like, so this one guy in this one army is immune to this other pseudo armies? He's like, yep, pretty much. I'm like, all right. It's one of those things as well. You never know. GW never know when they might might want to put ice magic in. So, mm. you know, it gives them an option, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, I suppose. <laughs> now, you know, Balthazar Gelt, well, as we know, created the the uh, the cage around uh, Sylvania, and then we had that person who stopped by. And we believe it was one of Neferata's. Uh, you know, handmaidens uh, came and gave him that other scroll. I'm not sold on that idea. You're not? No. Just seems... Okay, Neferata doesn't want Nagash to to be raised. But, you know, I don't know. It just seems, it just seems that... I don't know. It just seems doesn't doesn't quite fit right with me. It might be. I might be completely wrong. I could have sworn somebody mentioned something that she had given it to him, but... I'm not 100%. It might have been. It might have been. I just think there's something more to it. It just seems too simple. I, I thought it was revealed later in the readings that it was. Yes, I, I thought it was too, but I mean, we yeah. could be mistaken. I, I'm i not sold that it's just that simple. I see what you're saying. There's there's something else behind it. Uh, there, there, there's manipulations and behind powers behind powers. I think that's what I'm trying to say. It could be a little bit more complicated than that. I could be completely wrong on that one. That might be me overthinking <laughs> things. Okay. Uh, well, possibly. But so Gelt creates the Auric Bastion, and I like that it's called the Auric Bastion because Auric goes uh, from Aurum, which is Latin for gold. And mm-hmm. he's, yeah, he's, you know, from the gold house. And they've got these gold wizards who are transmuting parts of the wall to somehow bond it with the prayer. And I love this. It's called a miracle of magic and prayer. And the other wizards are like, man, how did you figure this out? This is amazing. And he's like, I'm not telling. Hmm. And that, once again, now you, you had said in the, in, the, in the Nagash novel that people were sort of hinky on uh, Gelt's, you know, how he yeah. does stuff. I mean, yeah, right from the, like, you know, even before he became Supreme Patriarch of the College's magic. Um, and then he raised this barrier around... Um, around Sylvania that no one really understands how it works um, and probably shouldn't have been able to be made by anyone from the Empire. And then he does the same with the Auric um, Bastion as well. So, uh, yeah, there's quite a few people who are like, this is really useful, but, hmm. (laughs) Well, I I suppose as long as it contains Sylvania, it doesn't matter as long as it works. Well, yeah, I think think that's, um, that's the whole theme of of um, Gelt himself, isn't it? Mm. 
it's that the the whole story of gout is are the are the do the mean uh, do the mean do the ends justify the means? Sorry. So that's a tough question to answer. It is. This wall is kind of insane. Now, apparently, they get the light wizards raised the very bedrock out of the ground into these giant walls. The priests of Sigmar are using their prayers of faith to somehow make the wall unassailable. It's bonding all this stone and stuff together in a way that you can't get a foothold in it, you can't scratch it, you can't crack it. Anything they do, it just it, that these these prayers, this mortar just seals and heals this giant wall. So no one can climb it or scale it or anything. It's just there. It's this huge barrier. And then you get the alchemist from the Gold College to change the nature of the mortar, which I'm assuming is these prayers, these things that are sort of bonding and pulling it all together. And it changes the nature of the mortar and the stone enough so that they can bond and <clears throat> and seal together. Um, it's just it sounds kind of crazy to me. I thought I read part of uh, the the wall, the construction of it allowed it to uh, make it so demons cannot even approach it. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was going to just read off that part right now, if you want. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. It was created. The perfect barricade against the barbarians of the north required no garrison, for neither claw nor grapple could find purchase on its sheer slopes. It needed neither engineers nor laborers to repair it, for the living rock swiftly healed any inflicted harm. Men could not climb or destroy it, and thanks to the blessings laid into its very substance, demons could not even approach. It was a miracle during days of desperate need. And mean was the heart that did not rejoice. Um, and then so, here's the bit I was referring to. Um, that everyone forgot their suspicions concerning Gelt's sudden knowledge. So all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, that's, we're happy that we don't quite know why he's keeping secret about it, because it works. Um, it helped, of course, that Thyrus Gorman, Evergelt's uh, ever chief rival, had vanished in mysterious circumstances. So that's something that wasn't covered in the novel. Um, he was at Heldenheim, and he rode north, and he obviously never got there. Now there are plenty of beastmen running around and things like that. But, um, yeah. It's a little too tidy, that it, disappearance. It's, yeah, it seems to be you know, perceived that way. Whether it's just one of the cast powers in, intercepting, you know, just or, or undead powers, who knows? Well, what surprises me, if, if this is such a marvel and he won't explain it and people are all weird about it, I'm surprised the witch hunters aren't kind of keeping an eye on things already over here. Because, you know, later they go crazy. But for now, it almost seems like if, this, if it's suspicious, I mean, they just always seem like, you know. It, I suppose how many witch hunters are going to ask a mage who told you how to do that? Because we know you can't do that. I guess you're right there more of a with amongst mages it's like whoa that's uh, that's something we haven't tried and you know hmm. especially if his what he's doing is stemming the tide against these you know masses of chaos and granting these witch hunters survival maybe they're too busy with all the other things going on to it worry seems, about it seems pretty obvious he's helping that's true right. But now this bastion needs a constant stream of magic to maintain it, okay? And that's what they're talking about. So there's a, a whole chain of ritual circles from Grand in the north all the way down to the Rackspire by the World's Edge Mountains. So I'm just picturing these, like, little wizard circles, like every, you know, X amount of feet or yards or kilometers or whatever. 
Um, if the practitioners in the circle would collapse from exhaustion or stuff, the spell would fail. So they would have to be rotating out wizards to keep this thing going. Um, sort of like a poor man's version of the vortex in Old One. Um, yeah, a little bit. But now it says the Bastion would falter and the Northmen would spill over the border and attack if they if this part would fail. Now, how does okay? It's a giant wall of solid bedrock. So can I mean? Does anyone else have any? Was solid, anyone, solid magical bedrock? Okay, but and, and I get that. But does anyone else have any? Because there's no actual description that I could find in here to describe what it failed meant. Did it? Did the bedrock go back into the ground? Did it magically maybe it cracked and and couldn't hold its integrity, and the giant or something was able to smash through? Because that's what I'm wondering. Because are they constantly smashing against it in every place? Because whenever they would falter, it would fail, and Northman would spill over the border and attack. It's it like it out. It's magic at the end of the day. Yeah, because that's what I'm wondering. Could it? I mean, yeah, giant bits of bedrock fading out, and if so, why were you pulling bedrock? Why did? I mean, it's just it seems like a weird thing to me. I'm just wondering if sort of it it starts to either fade or pull back into the earth. That would kind of be a neat way if all of a sudden the stuff you raise as it starts to falter, it just starts to sort of crumble and, and pull back. Like you've pulled it up and it shouldn't be here in the way it is. It starts to yeah. crumble without that magical support. Yeah, yeah I can see that. Yeah, and without the magic, it sort of just sucks it back into the earth. You know, like you fill up a balloon, but if you if once you let go that let that op- end open up again, it's going to deflate and sort of kind of move mm-hmm. back to the way it was. I'm just curious if anyone else thought about that because... I mean, just having it like, bamf out of existence and then bamf back sort of goes against the way it seemed, the way they described its creation. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really give it too much thought. So I uh, think that just for the thought. sake of the narrative, they're just saying they need this magic to maintain it, and in some areas it, it failed. If it starts to sink back in as well, it gives them... It gives the Northmen a kind of clue that, well, it's failing there. Let's get ready. Right, right, exactly. And that's kind of what I was picturing, yeah. Yeah. It's, it'll do. Because later, when they put it back together again, because when, when that happened, that thing, when Gurugath yeah. gets trapped, it's like, it, it, I'm just picturing this rock kind of sliding back into place from both sides, you know, because it almost it seems like a door closing when that, when that scene happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's cool. I'm not picking on it i'm just wondering how else everyone else pictured it in my head because at first it kept i kept picturing it as like just disappearing and like that doesn't make any sense uh, I, with, I, when he got trapped in it i did picture it like it shimmered into existence and trapped him in the actual bedrock oh see and that's kind of how i was thinking but when i went back to do my notes it was saying vlad noticed it coming and j- dived out of the way and other people are diving out of the way so i just kind of pictured that the rock was coming from either end and it's if yeah, it's maybe. as thick as they said it was, big, slow, great, I unclean think, was like, uh-oh, trying to run and just kind of gets squashed. I'm it, thinking more Star Trek, you know, a little bit of shimmery light as it starts to come in before it solidifies. <laughs> Interesting. I, I thought it would be Bedrock rising from the ground that kind of has a magical aura to it. And when that aura goes away, you can tell, oh, it's weak right there. There's no magic supporting it. And the rock will start to crumble and give way if it's struck. Maybe people, different people perceive it in different ways. Ah, interesting. <laughs> we can all be right. Everyone earns a trophy. <laughs> Everyone wins. <laughs> oh, gosh. <clears throat> all right. Like I said, I was just curious what anyone else thought. So, all right. So, we've got this bastion leading all the way across the northern border. 
holding them back. This is just, I mean, it's 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 kind of amazing. Greg, you and I were talking uh, on After Illinois about just trying to wrap your head around a Titan. Yeah, and I'm trying to picture this wall now. You know, you know what is got to be at least what thirty, forty feet high. That's that's the problem. I mean, my first thought is to go to Game of Thrones. Exactly. Yeah. Um, which at the end of the day is based on kind of like Hadrian's Wall, in the you know the Romans built to keep the Scots out of England. Right. And if we rebuilt that, that would be good. But um, if we, it, it's, it's tri- <laughs> um, moving on. Um, but wasn't anywhere near that high, obviously. But yeah, it's an interesting kind of yeah the Great Wall of China, but a bit you know not in that kind of. Yeah, but different and almost more impressive in a weird way. Yeah. Than uh, that. But. In a weird, magical way. Yeah. All right. So we've got three main areas of defense here along this wall. On the east end, we've got the east is being defended by Wolfram Hertwig of Ostermark. Uh, the west is being defended by Vladimir von Rokoff, the Elector Count of Ostland. He's the guy who managed to... Oh. To save, yeah, uh, save that place in the beginning, and now the center is being defended by Aldebrand Ludenhoff, the Elector Count of Hochland. Um, I love the description of this guy. He leads from the back, which when we play the game, you hear "lead from the back" and you think "cowardly Skaven," but that's not what this guy is at all. Yeah, no, he, he's he's fighting a much bigger scale of battle that you do in Warhammer. Yeah, did anyone else think? I think because I mean you. You know, and at first they say all these other leaders, lead, you know, they charge in with their men. They're calling the orders. They're moving things. He's standing. With, What's wrong with him? Because he's watching the ebb and flow of the big battle. And it's a more realistic, um, like, you know, he's like a uh, Patton, old world. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm thinking further back. I'm thinking Napoleon. You know, before that, you know, <clears throat> those kind of things. Who need to see the whole battlefield to to get things to raise their flags and. We'll only think about charging in when it's desperate or, you know, to help clear up. Yeah, because they actually talk about how he, um, you know, he, he almost he, he almost has a, 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 almost an extra, you know, a sixth sense. Like he can see these things moving and he'll make calls that seem like risky things, but he can see that that opening right there is where we need to be. Did you think about, did you think anything of that at all, Chris? I, I did. I had a note on there that he's more of a strategist than frontline general. Which you don't really see that in the Warhammer world, really, because you want your your fighty general out on the front lines killing and stuff. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. This guy's not a, a kick a vampire or a chaos right. lord or a you know a big lizard on a carnosaur. Mm. Yeah. He's just a man. But he's not a character that exists in game terms, is correct? It? Or is he? No, I don't think he is. Uh, his uh, no, he's not. Okay. It'd be interesting to see that uh, that that strategic acumen applied in terms of the gameplay. It'd be cool to have a character who can boost other units. Mm. Yeah, stand back and get those desperate moves, or what seems desperate. I love his people say that he's got like a sixth sense or something like that. That he's got some sort of you he's know, the son of a seventh son. Yeah, Tal and Mamidia with foresight and wisdom, which is all rubbish. But they just like to think so. <laughs> right. And everybody else is like, yeah, yeah, shut up. They're like, no, no, he's so awesome. <laughs> so at the moment, they're at a stalemate because this wall is just keeping these hordes back there. Uh, and, you know, this is funny because to me, this might actually be, because remember all those, all those 
armies wanted to leave and head south, and and Archaon is like, uh, yeah, I'm, no, I'm not ready yet. I'm not I'm not going. And things move in and sweep through, and you're here still hearing that these are the vanguards, you know. And it's like, oh well, this is this is what happened to some of them then, at least. Yeah. Uh, while Archaon is still sitting on his throne. But you got this stalemate going on, and you got this giant wall separating two armies. And so the, the Empire says, well, why don't we shoot over the wall a little bit? I mean, they're packed in there, you know, wall to wall. We can't miss, right? So they start shooting the cannons over that, and then they're like, well, if you're going to shoot at us, we're going to do the same thing. So they start firing back the hell cannons. And uh, yeah, I wonder why they didn't just start shooting using the hell cannons straight away. Just over the wall? Yeah. I guess they just figured we can't see him. We might as well save it for when we finally get through. Because, they might not be in place yet. Uh, that could be it too. Might have been used, utilizing the because the, um, if the mortars fire first and then the hell cannons fire back, they might be just using them as a, a, a range. They might not know exactly how far back the Empire troops are, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I just thought it was funny. They started shooting. They started, okay, you know what? We might as well stop this. We're just going to run out of ammo and it pisses them off and they shoot <laughs> we can't afford the losses, so stop, stop shooting over the wall. Stop aggravating them. But um, okay, so now this is this. I like this part a lot. It's a month before Geheimensnacht, and we all know that because Chris was giving us the lowdown last episode. Uh, and there's this rancid, sweet smell in the air one night, and then the next day, plague breaks out. So they are helpless to stop this. Their prayers are not curing this plague. In fact, 75% of the people infected from it die from it. I was like, oh, man. And here's where Ludenhoff just makes the hard decision. He takes all the dead and rounds them up, and then he takes anyone who's infected and rounds them up and shoves them off this way, and he burns the dead, and then he kills the living and burns them. Too. I'm assuming he shot them first or something like that. I'm assuming he didn't throw live people onto a fire. Did you waste bullets? On uh, people when you've got a whole army to fight. Um, no, I, I, you know, I like the air. I like this. Ludenhoff is he's a sensible man, but and he knows he's got to do the horrible, horrible thing here. But it says, it specifically states, you know, few went willingly. Um, well, right, because it says the dead were burnt and the infected living separated by palisades of sharpened stakes and under the threat of loaded guns. And then, where does it say? This yes. is like a mini uh, zombie movie right here. Yeah. Trying to contain the infected. Yeah, but it's, it's, yeah it's, it's, it's one of those things that you would, you would try not to waste your, your, your fire. They know they're going to need every single piece of ammo they've got. So until there is, you know, the fighting breaks out, you're not going to try and waste any. Yeah, the dead and afflicted alike be taken to the pyres. Piety and medicine had done nothing to halt it, so flame would have to serve. Few went willingly, and many skirmishes broke out. Blah, blah, blah. At the end, thousands of dying souls met their end amongst the flames in the hope that it would spare their comrades. I guess... I guess he did just throw them on there, burned them alive. Yeah. Oh, that's even more vicious. This is... I mean, and this is na- this is just nasty. Either way, if you shoot them, then burn them, or just burn them... The latter is more brutal, but you save a bullet, to Greg's point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, talking the most grim wars they've ever had. You know, people make, have made similar decisions to these, and it must be horrible. I mean, the only other thing they could have done, maybe, was charge them at the enemy. But, um, <laughs> yeah. 
because they they talk about uh, the swords of Ulrich holding the uh, the breach at Kragoff, even though they were suffering from this this pox, and you know all of them were dead, even though they did their job. By the time they got there, it was just plague-ridden corpses. So it was the only other thing they could probably do. Plague-ridden corpses clustered around their banner. That's a great visual. It is, isn't it? And they won. Yeah. Uh, those guys are double hard. So, afterward, after this happens, Ludenhoff feels horrible about this. And he goes and basically turns himself into the emperor. He's like, I'm going to be punished for this. I'm going to be stripped of my medals. But I stopped the plague. And actually, it's great. that whole. The, the, I love the section in there where Nurgle's pissed. He's like, I made such a good plague. And this guy actually stopped it. Like, you know, stopped it dead. Uh, by by making the hard decision, like you know, I, it's, there's an idea like Nurgle. Nothing, uh, no no human is going to make that kind of a call, be that vicious, and he does it. And he goes to see the emperor, and the emperor commends him for making. Uh, his, hey, these are hard times. People were dying. These people were killing everybody else. Just being around, you did it. That 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 whole kind of section reminds me. I've been listening to hardcore history for quite a long time. Um, and when you hear about some of the things that were done during the First World War uh, and other wars where, you know, generals have had to send men to their deaths knowing that they're going to die but trying to achieve an objective, things like that. And some of those people who've had to make those decisions going through very similar thought processes afterwards, you know, did I do the right thing? I am saw a small documentary about Churchill after the war, you know, um, when he sent all the all the bomb. I think it was the Dambusters raid, you know, and every plane that didn't come back was like a physical blow to him. But and it didn't. It didn't matter that he knew he made the like he made the you know, right decision, if you for want of a better word. Um, and and it kind of broke the back. But every plane that came back was, as I say, was a physical pain to him that he never ever got over. Yeah. And you're seeing like quite a similar kind of thing here for Ludendorff. And didn't, uh, like, uh, when, uh, at the end of World War II, when they dropped uh, the bombs on Japan, I mean, they had three guys, three different, sh- you know, dropping, you know, pulling, nobody knew which guy actually yeah, dropped yeah. them. They had three different guys. So, but uh, didn't a couple of them, like, commit suicide? Just thinking it might have been them that did it? Because it was like, they when they realized what kind of, sort of, well, yeah, havoc I mean, they wreaked, I mean... Yeah, even the president's writing, you know, I'm going to have to do this deed and history will call me a monster for it. But Yeah. You know, and that's, that those, it's those, this is just like a small like little piece. Of, it just echoed those real big decisions that had to be made in real life, you know, in, in this fantasy setting where we can say, yeah, that's cool, that's amazing. But it was just like, uh, cool. Humanizes the, uh, these empire characters yeah. quite nicely. So we're on, we're on to Halloween. <laughs> well, no. Before that one, real quick, I like I love the fact that they did, and that Ludenhoff never slept well again. Like he really did. Yeah, it haunted him. Yeah, he, it, exactly. He didn't do well with this. And um, the other part that I thought was interesting was, you know, what kind of stuff does Carl Franz have to deal with on a daily basis that this happens? And he's like, no, you did the right thing. That was that was okay. And goes back to work. And, like, it doesn't seem to phase him what happened. I mean, granted, he's working on a much larger scale. But it it's, gives me that whole sense of 
wow, what does this guy actually have to deal with that this was nothing? Cole, no, well, Cole Franz is, it's quite, it's, it's said a lot, is the master political, uh, politic. Um, so even if it does affect him, he's not going to let the guy he's telling, don't worry about it, you did the right thing. He's not going to let him know that it affected him anyway. Right. So, yeah, so even if it affects Cole Franz, he's not going to let on. But also, Cole Franz knows that, yeah, yeah, he did the right thing, and we've got a wall of northerners out there, and they ain't going to stop. And there's something going on in Sylvania, and that's going to come to something. So, yeah, he knows that there's, there's way bigger, there's, there's bigger fish to fry than these thousands of men. But there's something else in here that's really important with it, if, if I may take a moment here. Uh, now, t- just to read right out of it, it said, you know, like he said, at times such as these, he counseled, dark deeds were sometimes necessary to keep a deeper darkness at bay. It was a lesson delivered not only to Ludenhoff, but to all present in the war council, though perhaps none dwelt upon the words so deeply as did Balthazar Gelt. So you can see that idea that, you know, sometimes you've got to do bad things to keep the worst bad away. And Gelt's already got this rolling in his head. Yeah, maybe. Um, it just affects him later on. Well, and it's funny. Ludenhoff can't sleep because he's plagued by this guilt. Whereas Gelt, when later on he touches those multiple winds of magic, he has trouble sleeping until he embraces this wind of this death magic and he starts and he becomes a full on necromancer. And then he can sleep just fine. So I I thought it was an interesting bit of a weird like little bit of parallel. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but no, I don't not necessarily. Um, Gelt is very much driven by the power he can achieve. You know, it drove him to become the, you know, where he is now, and we see his weakness is power more than like more than just helping out. It's the power that he gets to do so that is his weakness. Where Ludenhoff seems to be much more grounded in kind of in his men and and that kind of thing so yeah Mm. Gelt's looking at it kind of you know from a very different viewpoint very different I love though that once he embraces it he sleeps just fine again sleeps like a baby yeah there's no more he's he's not bothered by whatever it is like whatever's keeping him up making it hard for him to sleep driving him a little bit bonkers he's come to grips with that bonkers and it's ego as well. So he's like, no, oh, it's right. I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm helping out. You know, right. Doesn't I'm matter doing it. Where yeah. I've got to go to do it. But I'm, I'm doing what I should be doing. He doesn't necessarily have quite so big a conscious to say, is what you're doing right. So it uh, occurs to me for if, they, if GW were to make a character of Ludinov, that you could introduce an interesting mechanic whereby... You know, he starts off the game with high leadership, maybe 18-inch inspiring presence. But f- you could have it where for every unit that he loses, he loses one pip of leadership and his uh, inspiring presence bubble goes down by so many inches. So but as as casualties mount, you know, that, that guilt kind of eats away at him and makes him less effective. Just I just That popped into me as we were talking about him. Yeah, as, yeah. A, very, as a very... It would be a very... Um, yeah, a bleak way to do it because I actually think on the battlefield it wouldn't affect him too much. Right, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I think he'd be able to lock it away, but it's once that battle's over, then he'd be in the aftermath ensues. Yeah, that yeah. would be degeneration. 
Yeah. But it, it looks like he can handle it while he's in it and he knows he's going to do those dark deeds, as we said. He's fine. And he's like, no, it has to be done. But after, afterwards, when it, when it really hits home, yeah, that's a so, good point. All right, so let's I was, let's jump up and let's get through this part up to here, up to the part where uh, the emperor, the emperor talk. I keep calling him the emperor, and I keep thinking I'm on the other show, where <laughs> Carl Friends talks to Gelt, and let's get up to there before we get to this battle, and then we'll take a break. How's that sound? Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Um, so it's Hyman's knocked, and this answers a question I had earlier in the book when when uh, when things happened. The priests of more all go. Priests of more go insane because they, they they don't control the magic, but it's enough to mess with them. Uh, the amethyst wizards all die or turn into dust or have other horrible things happen to them. Uh, and the Northlander shamans who dabble in death magic they die too. So it's not just the good guys. Basically, anyone who dabbles in death magic either goes crazy or dies or is horribly changed uh and then, like i said when they said the amethyst college turned amethyst college turned to dust back in like chapter two or three i was like well, what happened to all the wizards and here oh okay that's what happens to the wizards no more death magic in ninth no more death, oh, the death magic is dead so there's no more of it <laughs> it'll be replaced that'll be the eighth sphere of magic will just be necromancy so maybe yeah right so <laughs> <laughs> So all the dead rise. This was Nagash's old plan. All the dead on the planet, they come back. But Nagash doesn't have control of them, as we know, because the spell didn't work, or the resurrection didn't work right. So this is actually like Night of the Living Dead. They all come back, and if they don't see any humans around to attack, they just wander around. If there's a lot of humans around, they get agitated and come after them. But otherwise, they're just sort of wandering around uncontrolled. They're regular undead. Um, I like how they point out that the worst part of the rebirth on the south side of the wall is where they burned all the bodies of the plague victims. Hmm. So yeah. so where Ludenhoff did that thing is where the most zombies and skeletons and things all reformed and came back. Is this, is this the part where fighting broke out even amongst the undead because they recognized them as foes when in life? Yes, yeah, I think that, that was. That part seems very strange to me. I, I didn't know if I if I bought that. Well, they weren't controlled, and I think that's that's what it had yeah. to do with it. Because- there was no overriding will, so that very infinitesimal bit of their old will that remained, their old being carried over. Yeah, I suppose. And, it, and they had to be very recently dead, probably for that. Like these are the people who literally literally just died. Oh, I remember you. Yeah. Well, because remember the Tomb Kings, they come back, um, and some of them come back with some sort of memories of their past life and with some of their skills. Some of those skeletons come back that way. So it's a different type of magic, you know? Um, I just, yeah, they're fighting amongst themselves. But um, I just, I just, uh, I thought it was just kind of cool that all these zombies are coming back. And anybody who has control or understands it can grab them. Hold on a second. Sorry. Okay, Sorry. now, with all the dead rising, the emperor's like, um, get Gelt over here. And so this is, this. I, I freaking love this whole scene. It's because every time you see the Carl Franz, you just don't see him, I mean, you actually see him a lot in this chapter, but you don't seem to see him that often. And when you do, it's always like nothing gets past him, no matter what people try to pull. 
So he wants to know, if is Sylvania still caged? I'm asking you. And he doesn't know what to answer. Gelt knows don't even try to lie to him. I know I got my mask. He can't see my face. Can't, but don't even try to lie to him. So he goes, I have no reason to believe otherwise. You know? <laughs> and it's like, it wasn't a no, but I didn't lie. And Gelt knows that the emperor's kind of giving him the stink eye here. Like, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, Gelt's pride, his pride and hubris won't even let him say, I don't know. Yeah. I have no reason to. Yeah. And that's that. Okay. Was anyone else going just, why don't you just say, I don't know? No, this is, I think, I think cause in the, it, it, it clearly states, you know, he doesn't want to lose face here because someone will challenge him for, to be Supreme Patriarch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so there's the politic in itself. There's his ego. There's his absolute kind of conviction. Um, and yeah, and all of that combined, it just means he can't, can't kind of, doesn't want to believe he's failed for starters and then definitely doesn't want to be seen we're seeing all the worst aspects of um you know the empire's politic going on yeah you know i'm really starting to get a new respect for carl franz's leadership oh it says it it does say it in a lot of books and i think that's one of the reasons why they don't show carl franz a lot because then when he turns up he can just do the little bits and look amazing and right hear about him the more that might be harder to do but you know as far as the game goes and stuff he's a good character but it's not you know but like because if you read that those two books it was the sort of justice sort of the the, the book the, the was Schwar- of, uh, yeah yeah uh, schwarzhelm and helborg yeah um you see the emperor in there telling schwarzhelm you're gonna go do that i'm not suited for this listen you're gonna do it i also like how like he's kind of like everybody's dad like, yep. nobody wants him to even say, like, even a sentence. To, it's like, you know, there's that part where Schwartz was like, oh, well, okay, if you, you can't do it, all right. And it's just like that little bit of disappointment, and it, like, it, the disappointment of the emperor stirs people up to greater depths of heroism. It's like they don't want to let him down, you know. And you see this little bit of statesmanship in action, and it came up in the first part with um, when he's sending letters to the elves, or to the dwarfs. I mean, come on. He sent a letter and talked the dwarfs in to packing it up and going out to help the elves after they've already tried to help with Eliathra twice, and the second time Tyrion told off Thorgrim Grudgebearer. Like, every dwarf on the planet was like, screw the elves after that. And he still sends a letter and talks him into going out and helping these guys. I mean, they're just... Yeah, Definitely got some skills. Yeah, I mean, you, I can't say enough about. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but damn, <laughs> I mean, that's some that's some skills. You send a letter to a dwarf and get him to do something that they were going to put, you know, uh, they they wanted it in the book of grudges for. You know, they would that they were so mad about. That's them's some skills. Oh yeah, he badass. Yeah. I, I actually were here. It's really impressive. It shows this guy's craftier than the oldest and most powerful leaders of the Skaven. Yeah. So, you know what? Let's take a break. Let's take a break and come back, and we'll come back with the defense of Alderfen. Sounds good. With a flourish, the vampire seated himself on a cask opposite Gelt, reached forward, and slit the wizard's bonds with a swipe of a talon. Gelt didn't move, not wanting to concede anything. Allies, Gelt said flatly, scarcely able to contain his disbelief. Vlad von Karstein wishes an alliance with the Empire. Is that so very hard to believe? 
asked Vlad with a wave of his hand. The vampire was smiling, Gelt noted, enjoying his performance for an audience of one. Surely you must know by now that the end times are upon us. In so bleak an hour, old enmities must be put aside. In any case, I don't propose to ally myself to the Empire as a whole. Not yet. I don't believe your people are ready to accept my aid. Though they will in time, whether they wish it or not. Gelt snorted. And you esteem me to be more easily manipulated. Flag wagged an admonishing finger. Oh, I know you are. Explain yourself, Gelt bristled. The wall around Sylvania? You don't seriously expect me to believe that was entirely your idea, do you? As for this grand work in the north, I know all about your meeting with Neferata's little ingenue and the scroll she gave you. Gelt started at these revelations. The courtesan was a vampire. Vlad continued as if the wizard had not spoken. There has been war between the forces of chaos and undeath for many years now, and you, my friend, have unwittingly served both sides. I wish to offer you the opportunity to choose a side and take control of your fate. And if I choose not to accept your generosity? Gelt asked. Despite everything, the wizard found the vampire's wits compelling, and he had to remind himself that the creature before him could not be trusted. Vlad stood up sharply and, with a sweeping bow, gestured to the cellar door. Then leave. You will find your steed and belongings waiting in the stable. No one will stop you. In any case, you need not make a decision now. The offer will remain open indefinitely. And we're back talking chapter four of uh, the Nagash book with our hosts, with our guest host, Greg Dan. Indeed. And you're still there. And that's good. Yeah. So, now let's defend Alderfin. Um, one of the ritual circles that they're doing this magic in is suddenly silenced. Like, it's just this whole thing collapses. And it's not one of these temporary things, and they got to get in there and reinforce it apparently all these wizards are dead you know like or there's like well it falls apart basically they don't know what happened it falls apart and gelt jumps on his pegasus quicksilver and uh, heads to alderfen and he sees all these undead wandering around and he's like oh crap he's also like, coming off i like the line right at the end though the auric bastion was his finest work his legacy he would not let it fall not oh, no, chaos are coming, let's stop them. It was like, no, my wall's broken, I'm going to fix it. Well, you know what I liked, and I have this in my notes, was he's worried at first when he sees all the undead walking through there, he first worries about the big loss of life, and then he worries next about the loss of his reputation. Yeah. that's If, if those undead are there, that wall at Sylvania must have fallen. What's that going to do to my reputation? Not the fact that the undead have been uncaged. What does this do to my reputation? Yeah, it's all it's all about guilt for guilt. Uh, with pride comes the biggest fall. Is that what we're looking at here? No, oh, yeah, a bit more than just pride. <laughs> so the battle rages all over, and there's a death toll coming everywhere, and Gelf is trying to fix the bastion all by himself. All the other wizards are dead, so he's doing this... Basically, he's doing the work of several wizards on his own. Um, all the other wizards were gone. He sees the dead wandering, and he feels the death magic in the air, and he's actually tempted. He's like, you know what? I could I could control them and send them off after these guys. He goes, because he's worried, because I, I know there's another 
part with another group of, uh, oh, yeah, there's the counter charge that happens next. And he's like, you idiots, you're just wasting yourselves when you should be protecting me so I can get this wall back up. Um, so he's thinking, oh, I should throw these undead that way. There's the That's the first, the first temptation. He hasn't dabbled in it. But, you know, the dead are already here. I am a skilled wizard. I can't throw it. You know, Carl Friends did say sometimes we got to do evil to stop the bigger evil. And it's all just fallen into place. Plink, plink, plink. And it might help him save his wall and his reputation. Right. right. Yeah, because he could use those undead to block him out of the way, and then that would kill a lot of them off, too. People might, mm-hmm. might forget that there's so many of them here. Oh, man. So this is this Count Hertwig, guys. He could have told Count Hertwig what he was doing. <laughs> so Hertwig would have stayed. That's true, I, too. I, I feel a bit sorry for Hertwig because he's looking at it going, all right, lads, we're dead. Oh, well, let's sell ourselves dearly. And it's just like the wrong thing to do. They don't have to do that necessarily. Well, I think Geld can't be bothered by that. He's got bigger things to think about. Yeah. yeah. Just the lack of communication shows the, shows when an empire army will start to fall apart when not. it needs to all work together, unlike a lot of other armies. You need all those, all those heroes, all those little champions in these units really need to direct all those guys. Yeah, it's the strength. It's the strength of the empire is to work all the parts to work together as one machine. Yeah. Okay, but before Hertwig dies, he does do some good, uh, exactly. and this is actually this is they have to put this in here. This is important for later. We need a weapon to be there when we need it. So here we're going to plant sure. it. Uh, Festic Kron, the champion of Nurgle, goes after Hertwig and kills him. But as he's trying to kill him, Hertwig stabs him in the guts with a rune with his rune fang. And Cran is like, you think you could hurt me with that? And it's sticking in his in his stomach, and he, you know, kills this guy. And then when he pulls it out, it's not healing because this is troll cleaver, which in that's game terms means no regen. That's really unlucky, isn't it? Yeah. So if you're if you're yeah the Nur- a Nurgle follower, you're kind of counting on that, and it ain't happening. So Cran falls down and dies too, and um. Then you got all this other stuff going on. Captain Harold Driest and Al Ulrich Emil Valgier, the priest of Ulrich, are fighting against these invading forces. And as they're fighting there, the captain is doing his back. Al Ulrich is old but sturdy, and with a marked determination with which he tries to strike down Nurgle's chosen ones. Okay, am I the only one who missed this on the first read? Well, in what respect? Okay. Um, okay, well, okay, spoilers, if you haven't read it, screw you. This is the, he, okay, Al Ulrich, or Valgier, is the guy we're looking for later in the story, right? He's not who he seems to be. Yeah. And we're trying to figure out who it is, except every time they mention him, that he's an old man, much stronger, more virile, more powerful, more energetic than an old man should be, um, doesn't sleep. Okay, and then, which I noticed on the second read, he is, I'm like, well, geez, you know, killing a lot of the enemy would seem dumb, except he's killing Nurgle, which doesn't seem dumb when you find out that he's actually, you know, the changing, which is a Zinch warrior. Why wouldn't he have trouble killing Nurgle? Zinch and Nurgle hate each other. Like, yeah. everything falls into place, and on the second read, they're like, oh, damn it, I missed all of it. That's That's an interesting theory. I didn't. If think of it in those terms. Yeah. Like at this point in the story, I don't think the changeling is quite yet 
taken hold of, of Ulrich. He he may have I, I think he picks his spots, like who he impersonates when. Oh, I thought he had him here already. I thought he was already here. And that's <laughs> it, it could be. That that theory's much more interesting. Because he killed I mean somebody had to kill them and he's how else would he get over there unless he was I mean he, nobody's allowed near the wizard circle, right? But he's a priest of Ulrich and the priests are part of it. Or he could have been a soldier. Just sent to guard them, right? A grunt, yeah. but yeah. Right. But the idea of him being Al Uric and having killed Al Uric, you know, a day earlier or something like that, and taking his form, yeah, because cool. he's fighting better than an old man should. He doesn't need to sleep. He's and he's and he's playing the long game because this is all about the long game of getting to the emperor. Yeah, and I was so, like, on the second read, I was like, damn it, it's so obvious on the second read who he is. Potentially. Yeah. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe it's the lit teacher it part makes, of me. It makes sense. So, okay, but was I the only one who thought that though? At this point, I mean, no, I I didn't think it at this point. But like I say, your theory is is very interesting. So it's got a lot of mileage. Ooh, ooh look at! I'm so proud of me. Yeah. So one point for David. Yeah. <laughs> Five <laughs> points for Gryffindor. Hooray! Um, and then Vaulted shows up. Yay! I think I have all three of those Vaulton models. I think I got them like just in a, in a lot of crap I bought on eBay once, and all the metal ones. I love those Vaulton models, um, and I love his description. He was a blacksmith out in the working with his hammers, and the army walks by, and he just gets this undeniable urge to go and fight for the empire, and so he just goes with them. I'm coming with you. Now get out of here. You're just a blacksmith. No, no. He just follows along behind, and everyone thought he was, like, mentally slow because he never talked. They're all like, oh, boy, the moron's following us. I should have read the uh, Storm of Chaos book before coming on, but it's fairly similar to his, ori- you know, his original storyline in that. Yes. So, But he's cool. Yeah, and this is the one part of the battle where the Empire actually winning is when Voltan yeah. does his thing. And then people see the light of Sigmar on his brow, and he just starts whooping the two hammers. And there he is, big, muscular, blonde, Viking-looking, you know, uh, you know, barbarian-looking guy swinging his hammers, and it looks like the light of Sigmar on him. And people start chanting his name, and they're so emboldened by him that they stand. I love that they they're so certain when they see him that it's, it's like it seems so much like sigmar that when the plague bearers attack nobody's afraid like they don't feel the fear they all automatically pass their fear check when Valton's around kicking ass um, talk about inspiring presence oh yeah no kidding now i i came up with a little thing here i saw another line there actually what was it? they have none of valgear's reserve they craved victory and if it were granted at Sigmar's hand, then so be it. So Valgir was reserved after beating up a few of his noble dudes ah. and didn't follow through. So that, that would fit in. To, Look, I'm killing some people. I'm a good guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really want to go and run all the way over there, though, and kill more. No. Now, i got to say this. I came up with two drinking games for this book. One is, we mentioned last time, every time someone's decapitated, take a drink. Because it happens a lot in this book. But there needs to be a second one. Every time somebody says they see the light of Sigmar on Valton's brow, take a drink. You'll die, of po- you'll die of alcohol poisoning before you get through Chapter 4. 
Did anyone else notice that? I mean, he's, he's, oh, my God. They beat you over the head with it because the light of Sigmar was on his brow. The light of Sigmar was on his brow. I, I didn't notice it quite that often. Seriously, it's at least a half a dozen times during these battles. You, if you're reading it, you'll notice it now because I pointed it out to you. Um, but I did really love this part. May I, may I read another part that I really sure. like? I like when it said they're, they're chanting for him. And as they're chanting for him, at the, on page 178, if you've got the book in front of you, it's just, and I'm not going to read it's the whole first half of the first paragraph. They're chanting, Valtin, Valtin, Valtin. And then the, the pock-faced knights perish to the last damn soul as Valtin hammers shattered their skulls. Valtin, Valtin, Valtin. The surviving Middenlanders, eager to erase the memory of their earlier cowardice, felt like wolves upon the fleeing barbarians. That's where they had none of his reserve. Valtin, Valtin, Valtin. The Northlanders have been driven back almost to the breach of the bastion now, and the men of the Empire could taste victory. So it's like as they're cheering, it's wherever that this cheer, this cry for Valtin comes, that, that, like you said, that inspiring presence comes in, and, and they, they, it leads them to the, the turning the tide against it. I just, I really liked how it was written. It's just where you hear the chant, this thing is, this, these things start happening. It's like a WWE match. <laughs> get going, and he reverses a move. Well, maybe and maybe Valton has some some of those like strings tied around his biceps to make him look bulgier. Yeah, you know, yeah, I totally. Need them, pro wrestler. There you go. Yeah. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> over the top rope, punks. Yeah, yeah, I'd say over the over the top of the wall, but that's way too high. So, um. And in comes Gurugath of the Endless Rot. A great unclean one is here. And he goes after Valton. Um, Valton falls. Oh, hold on one second. What? All right, back. So um, Gurugath attacks Valton and knocks him senseless. I mean, he is a great unclean one. Let's be honest. I mean, it shouldn't be that easy. Valton's got a couple of actual blacksmith's hammers. It's not like he's going around with them. Um, and when he falls, everybody else goes, ah, and runs, which just shows how much his how much his presence and his, you know, what he was doing was really inspiring everybody because they saw him fall. And it was like, uh-oh. But, of course, before he can kill him, he's distracted by dark clouds racing across the sky and blocking out the sun. You know, because you got to have something. Wait, what? You know, right? And uh, of course, then there's that's that's Vlad. I, I just you know, and I know later Nagash does this whole thing, but I just love in the VC books. Like if you, I, I don't know, I think you've read the the von Karstein trilogy, right, Greg? Yeah, a while ago. Yeah, I'm fairly certain that you have not. Am I correct, Chris? I have not. Whenever they come into battle, because they obviously they're vampires, they can't be out in the daytime. Um, Vlad just basically creates big dark clouds and recreate and creates a false night. He blocks out the sun, yeah. and so that's, it's like you know he's coming when this happens. And so as this starts pouring, in, it's like, oh, Vlad's here. Um, and that's when the Empire sol- the Empire soldiers actually between the Great Unclean One and the the Plague Bearers and the clouds just coming in unnaturally fast. A lot of these guys just fall down and cover their heads and just hide. They're just like, you know, hiding under their hands. They're terrified. They fail their terror check on this one. Um, 
and then Valton is down, and the plague bears are coming, and then something attacks Gurugath from the sky, and that's yeah. that's when the dead actually start to get up and attack Chaos, but not the Empire. It doesn't stop the Empire attacking some of the undead. Yes, but eventually they start to realize it's not them, and um, so uh, they're doing this um, because Vlad is trying to contain Chaos as well. Was that his? Motivation well, it's, here. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's Nagash knows that chaos is a massive threat to his plans, um, the biggest threat. So, mm-hmm. Vlad was sent to help help out here. Yeah, Vlad is supposed to stop chaos from getting, or at least slow them down as much as possible and stop them from getting through. That was the plan before. And uh, yeah, I mean that's why Nagash is even here, right? They said he came back hundreds of years early because he he sensed chaos making this big push. Yeah, and he knew he had to do something. So okay, let me ask a quick question before I want to know what. Uh, um, I had I actually had to read this twice and I was confused. Where Captain Driest gets up to his feet with no conscious effort to do so, for his thoughts were still frozen with terror. But he rolls all the same. His movements jerky and uncoordinated. Is this the nameless just taking control of all of them and making them fight? It. I mean, or did anyone else? Because this. I mean, it's very vague. It's like he's still terrified, and he's getting up through no will of his own and fighting anyway. And he's moving around all herky-jerky. I'm assuming... Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think so. I, I didn't occur to me at the time, but after the fact, knowing what we know now, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, because it actually says in my notes, page 180, what's up with this? Because I'm taking the notes as I'm reading. And, of course, later, when we get over to Raxpire, Nameless just controls everybody, like, but doesn't have to kill them to control them. He actually just will take over their mental faculties. Sorry, it does say he heard whispers in his mind, the commands of a sonorous voice whose will would not be denied. Okay, so it is the nameless. Dude, you know, Vlad actually says how the, you know, when he's talking to the nameless, how he doesn't want to have a fight of wills with him because, and we know Vlad's got a strong will. I mean, he's, he's one of the toughest vampires around and he doesn't want to go up against nameless because... He says that things will. This guy's got some serious power. His mental powers are like stupid strong. I mean, it's. Does anyone have an idea who? I mean, I got no clue. There's a well. There's a couple of characters that have been talked about online, but no one really knows. Just a couple of old fluff characters. Um, I know some people mentioned it could have been Kemla, reborn, but it's not. It's it's so different, and he's not powerful enough, and. Kemala had sold his soul to the Chaos Gods anyway, so oh you know I wouldn't put, put I wouldn't put any money on it being Kemala, but no. um, yeah, there, there's a couple of bits that it could be um, was Soran, the original Necrock vampire. Oh, uh, okay. From the uh, from the Nagash books, so one of the uh, Chris, do you know any of that fluff? I don't know. You've got uh, for all the vampire for the blood knights, the net crocs. You've got the the progenitor vampire where they all came from. That that Nagash that were turned in Liberis by um, what's her name? Um, Neferata. Neferata. That'll be the one. Thank you. So was Soran was the the one who dealt with all information and I think and all like that. So that's one of them. So it could be one of the original vampires like Neferata. So that's that, right. That's I haven't of, read that in a while. You're right. Could, I forgot about him. Because we've got like five named Mortarks out there. I think something like that. So yeah, I it could so. be. 
Oh, that would be cool if it was with Soren. Because yeah, now now I remember him. Once you mentioned him, because you read all these stories and eventually you just start losing track of names. But that would be cool if it was him because he was he was kind of badass. I remember when you were reading the uh, the yeah. Nagash the Nagash trilogy. I enjoyed that. They all were. So yeah, um, he's probably most likely. There was also there was another undead character. I can't remember his name to be honest. I do apologize. Um, <clears throat> but at the end of the day. They could change the fluff anyway, because particularly with the old old stuff, right? You know, they can bring them back as they want. But yeah, this is someone who's—I mean—that stronger will tends to be tied with some old and ancient things like that as well. So, was, you know, if you had five a bet on it, he'd probably put Wasoran. Yeah, I like—I like that call too. I thought that was good. Um, but so Vlad and Valton are both fighting the Great Unclean One together. But Vlad is rusty after being dead so long, and Valton just isn't strong enough. And that's basically how they describe it, is if Vlad is just not at his peak game yet, and Valton isn't either. Um, and I like how it actually describes how they're fighting. Yeah, I was just about to Go say. Ahead. Go ahead. It, it's almost like they're fighting as brothers who don't talk to each other kind of thing. Uh, you know, if, if they work together, they could probably take him down quite easily. Mm. But yeah. although they're fighting in and out and they're sort of fighting together, it's not fully. Yeah, it points out something about how they're fighting, but neither of them are doing anything to sort of protect the other one. Like, yeah. I'm fighting him, and if he's going after you, I'm not going to try to help you or slow him down. Right. You can charge this flank. No, nope, I'm going to go over here. Exactly. And yeah. finally. And the enemy is my friend. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but he's still my enemy. <laughs> so. Vlad finds Hertwig's corpse, and once again, he reaches out into the battlefield looking for one mind among all the dead. Dude, once again, Vlad's mind game is strong. <laughs> He's, he, he can play it. So he finds that one bit of a mind out there and raises him and commands him to come over because he's still got his sword. He's still got the, the, the troll slayer sword, the runefang. So he basically brings him back, calls him up, and, and summons him. Um, and so he hands over the runefang to Valton. That's so, a great visual. Yeah. Raise the, the shambling body to then present the sword. Yeah. It's really cool. Dude, Vlad is so awesome in this book. The idea that he doesn't see himself as the bad guy. I mean, evil, really good evil characters never do. They're the hero of their own story. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Vlad never did either, back in the old books. Yeah, but I mean, even in the Von Karstein trilogy, he kind of shows up, but you, you never got a lot of time with Vlad and getting into his head. It was always from other people's perspective. In this mm. book, you finally get this whole, hey, listen, I only, I'm only killing people because it's necessary. I don't necessarily look forward to wiping people out, but you know what? Humanity needs a strong hand to guide them, and I'm that strong hand. And if it means killing villages, I'll kill villages. Like He has no qualms with the killing. He's just not doing it for the fun of it. No, Vlad is, um, I mean, he always wanted to be one of the, you know, he wanted to play the politic and he was very kind of keen on the empire system and all that. So he sees himself as this kind of, you know, figure that that does get to command and and do all that. And he very much embraces that aspect of it. How old is he? Because there's a part in here where he says he wanted to recreate, um, uh, you know, Kemri, or not Kemri, but um, Nehekara in the Empire. And I'm, well, was he around back then? Uh, I, I can't remember when he was like, born, but um, he's been dead over 300 years. 
yeah. from his so it couldn't have been that far back then so you're talking hundreds yeah but you know he'd have traveled down there or something so um you know right about the part where uh guilt is about to seal the wall why don't we take another break really quick it's been about 25 30 minutes mm-hmm. take a break come back and we'll let guilt seal the breach and look at some of the after effects before it uh before he screws up in Gelt's folly and uh, the breach opens again. So take a quick break. We'll be right back. Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois is the one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. They carry anything your favorite gamer may want. Board games, collectible card games, miniature-based games, and all your hobby gaming supplies are there, as well as books, charms, incense, crystals, and other unique gifts. UGG has it all. Come into the store and ask about their frequent buyers program, or check out their gaming and events calendars in-store or online. From Tuesday night War Machine and Thursday Board Game Night to Friday Night Magic, there's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Gray's Lake. Check them out on the web at uniquegg.com. back and once again into the breach i'm sorry i couldn't resist. <laughs> your friends i couldn't resist so um Gelt finally seals the breach and i have this marked here um yeah so Gelt seals the breach and i like the great unclean one is actually trapped inside the wall we talked about that the wall as he reforms it traps him in there uh wallach harkon and the blood knights or the blood dragons are stuck on the north side of the wall, which Vlad doesn't mind because Harkon was the one he was talking about. Is he's bloodthirsty and vicious for the sake of being bloodthirsty. He just loves to fight. He's very uncivilized. He is, and it's funny because he just loves to fight and be this vicious, violent vampire. And Vlad's the vampire who likes to be. Like I said, I, I'm violent when it's necessary, but I like order. I like to keep things the way they should be. You know? It's kind of odd, as interesting a character he is, that it feels counterintuitive for a vampire whose very existence is predicated upon violence and, you know what I mean? Well, they like, live off blood, but I mean, there's a lots of stories throughout history of vampires, I mean, even Dracula. I mean, he led, I mean, you know, before he comes to England in the story, he was the king of this area, mm-hmm. and yeah, he fed off people, and I mean, you know, but they were like cattle as far as food went. But Vlad, he, yeah, Vlad's shtick was that civilized thing he wanted to grow. Um, and in, particularly in the novel, we see Manfred actually culling quite a few people. And he's like, oh, Manfred raised all these people. And it's just, you know, we just don't need them. Get rid of them. You know, I want these these ones. I want only the kind of the pick. Right. Um, it's interesting that he fancies himself, you know, the, the civilized statesman where when all the... Uh, the, the the violence is necessary for his very existence. It's just an interesting dichotomy there. 
Yeah, and it, well, yeah, absolutely. Um, we could say that there are plenty of people like that in the world as well. You know, civilizations that are born on blood, regular yeah. blood as well. So, but uh, is that an, indi- an, an indictment of America, Greg? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're conscious, you? if your conscience has made it so, <laughs> then there must be dark secrets there, Mister. Let's keep it on track. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. U is evil deep down. Don't don't let it, don't let his kind demeanor fool you. Oh, please. He's got that he's got that uh, Asian ability to just say things to you. He's like a low pan. He just says things. <laughs> oh, he makes geez. me feel bad all the time. He does. It'd be like, Dave, I think uh, you you did. I'm like, I'm so sorry. This really um, pisses me off to no end. <laughs> all right, back on track. So I love how this battle ends. I love this part from the book. Thus ended the battle of Alderfen. Valton and Valgir were left as beneficiaries of a strange triumph. Vlad and his allies had slipped away in their hour of victory, and the dead they had raised, collapsing lifeless once more. Uh, The bodies of Drist and his men loosed from the spirit's grasp. As they buried their dead, the survivors took heart from Valton's deeds and wondered how dark the times had become when the cursed creatures of Sylvania took arms in the Empire's defense. As darkness fell and and they denuded army lay encamped, Valgir shuffled through the shadows, sprinkling salt and blessed water around the perimeter. Few slept early that night. Or, no, was, ah, damn it, it says few slept easily that night. <laughs> uh, but that's just sort of the end of that, that battle. I love how that battle comes to an end there. But, I mean, Gelt, I mean, okay. He, it takes him uh, a, he, what, working a, day, a full day and a night to keep it going until reinforcement wizards can come in. His mind has touched more than one sphere of magic, and he's changed. And I was wondering about this. He touched metal magic and light magic, and I love the describes. And he saw the bizarre eddies that melted with the Sigmarite faith. So, like these magical prayers that the Sigmarites do, you know, these these you know, warrior priests, like he can see that magic on there as well. Like that was just kind of crazy. To yeah, me. So something's flipped in his head. Exactly, and I know they said the human mind can't handle it. And is it? Is it? And I'm wondering what it can't handle. Is it due to the human mind not being strong? Because even in the uh, the High Elf book and the Empire book, and they talk about how Teclas taught them the different colleges of magic. Your mind can only handle one. And I'm curious. I mean, does anyone? Does it say somewhere why? Like, I mean, is the, is the mind well, too uh, limited, or just there's, too there's a corruption? quote I think that addresses that uh, when they talk about. Uh, his increase in the perception of magic was terrifying because many of the cautionary tales concerning wizards who had over- overreached themselves and paid a tithe of sanity. Is that the part that you're referring to? Yeah, but there's that also it, that whole thing that wizards, you know, human wizards can only master one magic if, lore because that's all they can handle, whereas mm-hmm. elves can handle all eight. Yeah, plus. okay. El- elves have had a much longer evolutionary process. And, or you know, just to 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 cope with that, their minds are you know they're better than humans in every way. So yeah, their their minds are going to be much more tight and and be able to cope with those kind of things. And I think if you look at all the kind of major sorceries, they're you know the chaos can do it because they're a little bit insane anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> your lizard men again, their minds are on a different plane of existence to humans. These you, great math. Humans are average. Elves are much better than humans. And Dwarfs don't have magic, so they're below average, i.e. simpletons. And sure. Oh, no, they see it. That's how they harness it into the, 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 yeah, they the, have the to, runes. They have to use rocks with their magic. <laughs> right. but, um, 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah, humans are. They're just. It just. It's, it's another reason because you talked a lot in the last one about Eltharian and how he was all haughty and he, you know, he came across as quite a, you know, quite a jerk. jerk. Yeah. Mm. Um, where in the novel, it's like <laughs> kind of it's Eltharian. It's like well, I could talk to them, but they actually are below me. <laughs> I am I am a much greater of a much greater species than they are anyway and they really can't contribute to what I'm trying to do so you know like, there's just no point talking to them so yeah that's their attitude that, that but they are they also know that they are that far advanced as well okay okay that works for me <laughs> they're, like, they're like toddlers to the elf adults <laughs> it's like if Mike Tyson was fighting an infant yeah Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, no one got that reference. Okay. Um, all right, so here's this other thing. Gelt looks on the winds of magic, and he can also see the taint of chaos. And then he's looking for someone to talk to, and he goes to talk to Al Ulrich. Um, you know, uh, t- 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 Val- yeah, Valgir. Uh, and he's, he's looking around for someone, and he's like, why exactly does he talk to him, though? Is it just because he's awake? I mean, he, he happened to be awake. I mean, is there any other reason other than this guy happened to be awake, and he's... I mean, he's a Sigmarite priest. He's not a wizard. They don't necessarily trust the wizards Ulrich. that much. That's that's like the top of the Sigmarite. That's oh, okay. The, he is. He is. You know, there is one Al Uruk in the um, Ulrichian faith. Okay. And um, this is, and now he talks to Al Ulrich, and Al Ulrich's looking around, and and, and they're thinking about it. And he goes. It must be a shapeshifter. And this to me was a second record. Gelt sees magic on the wind. And he can't tell that it was a shapeshifter that did this. But he just looks around, eh, shapeshifter. Like, just caught it, like, almost too quick. Like, you know, I could, I got this. You know what I'm saying? It's just, you know, I'm, on the second reading, I thought this might have been a little too too easy of a read. You know, and, hey, we'll find him. But you know what? Let's, we don't want to cause a panic. We'll find him together. I'm really busy. Don't worry. I'll find him. Yeah, that was, yeah. But there's nothing here. There's nothing here to suggest that the head of that church is anything but what he is. Well, I mean, no, but that exchange, highlighting that particular exchange, is a big signal that that he is the shapeshifter. Well, you coupled with the fact that he's. I was talking about Gelt's reaction. I don't know, Dave. You thought Gelt's reaction was wrong, or just it highlighted the fact that? No, no, no. I thought Al Ulrich's reaction to when he goes to talk to him, he goes. Yeah, that is weird. I bet you it's a shapeshifter. Like, where do you know? Gelt's not getting it because Gelt's mind is is. I mean, let's. I mean, he's still freaking out. I mean, he's still seeing trails. I mean, let's face it. He's sort of tripping right. at this moment. You know what why, I'm saying? Why, why is throwing it in? Uh, you know that the fact that it's a shapeshifter. He could still keep it vague and hide under the veil of the confusion. Right, but he. I'm just saying that the fact that he's he got it that quick is what I'm saying seems and granted guilt isn't picking up on it, but I'm saying we should have picked up on it. Maybe, but we've also got a priest that's used priestly type magic to find something out. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it could give him the answer. Sigmar came to me and told me it was a, you know, my thingy, the other one, um, yeah, came to me and told me it was a shapeshifter through the runes. Okay. I mean, maybe, like I said, that one I might have been reading too much into it, but I was just, on the second reading, after seeing how they kept describing him as fighting, and then he wasn't sleeping, and then all this, I'm like, oh, boy, I'm just... I, yeah. I'm, on, the second, on the second reading, you know, you, yeah, you do start adding, like, that shapeshifter one's almost circumstantial, 
but alongside the not sleeping and the other things, it grain, it gets more weight. Well, and this is one of the things, and like I said, this is where I look back, and once again, English teachers kicking in, but it's like it, it's not an accident. They wrote these things in there. It's like on the, you know, the, the, it was it was nice. They, I like that they laid the little hints there for you and stuff. If you're if you're paying attention and can catch it, and if you don't, then on the second reading, it just makes the second reading better. It's not boring, you know. Yeah. So Gelt's got to go before the council and explain why the bastion broke. You know, um, <laughs> and that the blood dragons are on the other side of the wall. Oh, don't worry about it. They're on the other side of the wall. He leaves out the shapeshifter thing. He explains how the bastion broke. He tells everybody, yeah, those vampires, those vampire knights are on the other side of the wall. Leaves out the shapeshifter thing. Yeah, but... Okay, previously it says there's, all told, there are perhaps 500 men present. Right. Does he want the shapeshifter to know that he's on to No, 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 I'm not saying he shouldn't. I'm just saying he, you know. I think that's quite sensible. I don't think there's anything in that statement. No, no. I did, the other part of that 500 men present was of whom Gelt judged that perhaps two dozen were politically significant. Well, he did point out, yeah, they all came with a ton of retainers and stuff like that and and assistance. So he's only into 12 people. Right. He doesn't care about the 400 and whatever. Yeah. What about them? No, I, I was just, when I even brought up that he left out the shapeshifter thing was that, you know, Val just said, hey, we should we should keep this on the down low until we find it ourselves. And he agreed. Um, right. And he did talk about a lot of other stuff. And I love how they start grilling him then. They're like, well, what about this? And what's going on in Sylvania? And dude, he snaps. I mean, starts yelling at them, freaking out. I mean, to the point where Carl Friends says, listen, you know what? I think you need to take a break. He said, no, no, I'm fine. I, I don't need... No. Okay, you take, are going to take a break. <laughs> this is... Wasn't a suggestion. This is him kind of unraveling, right? His his apology uh, turns into outrage and... I feel really... all these people. At this point. This is, this is that scene in the cop movie where the, where, the, where the sergeant's like, I think you need a break. I don't need no break. Listen, gun, badge, now. You're on vacation. The difference is that the cop in that cop movie hasn't really achieved anything. Right. Whereas in this, okay, the barrier over Sylvania might have fallen, but it was there for quite a while, stopping any vampires get out, and everyone everyone agreed that that was a good thing. Um, and, and as he said at one point, it was, you know, it was never meant to last forever. It couldn't last forever. Uh, he's put up this massive wall that's helping stop chaos just maraud through the whole empire. But they're just having a go at him about this other wall and Sylvania, and then right. and that's what really starts to make him break. And you wonder if this scene hadn't happened, how far Gelt might have gone down the the path because he's getting so much grief over, you know, oh, you did this amazing thing, you didn't do it well enough, hmm. but you're the only person who could do it. Yeah, I love <laughs> it like, here. Bah. It says uh, he addressed the war council. But he'd gone several days without sleep, and his judgment was clouded. So he probably could have held himself in here. But he's overtired. He's worn out. As the Supreme Patriarch began speaking, it was his intention to make apology for his failure. But remind all there present that he never claimed to create Sylvania. That feat had been attributed to him as, a rumor, as rumor had spread. And he was too weird to keep his pride in check. His apology was grudging. His outrage at being blamed for others' assumptions all too plain. He had done everything he had promised, the wizard told them at length. He had blunted the threat of Manfred von Karsten's return, bought time for the lasting solution to be found, 
he didn't even realize he was shouting until he finally fell silent. <laughs> Who do you? Th- Cause you see him, the emperor's top guys. Listen, I didn't say that. You guys called it that. I did everything. I stopped this. I did this. Who are you? And then he stops. Oh, crap! <laughs> and Carl Franz looks over at him. He's like, um, okay, yeah, you're taking a break. You're taking a break now. Um. But what I really love is later when he calls him back into his office, like after everybody leaves, and he's like, um, I was going to speak up and say it's not your fault, but there was no way I could say anything after that performance that you just put on. So once again, the statesman, I was going to stick up for you, but yeah, nah, not, not after that. Yeah. I also, that's, that's Carl Franz. He's like, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, not putting my name alongside this madman. Exactly. I would have yeah. stuck up for you, but I couldn't after what you just did. I, you know, hurt his own position too much. Yeah, but then he does put him in charge of Wolfram Herzwig's portion of the border. You know, Herzwig got killed, and then was just zombified so that he could bring over a sword. Um, but he puts him over there, and he leaves the next morning with Ludenhoff and Huss, and he doesn't like this. Huss is just sent here to watch me. You know that. He's just like all pissed about it. I'm like, dude, he was about to send you on vacation. <laughs> and he put you in charge of a third of the army. I don't know why you're complaining. You, you know, I know exactly why he's complaining. It's because he's, it, like you said, his pride. But um, I, ju- I just loved that whole sequence. You know, every last bit of it I thought was great. Um, did anyone have anything else to add to that before we move on to Vlad? Because this is the part. That I love this next part. Let's move on to Vlad. Yeah, let's keep going. And Vlad hates this freaking job. He <laughs> so doesn't want to be here. And this is the thing. He's like, oh, I need to lead these humans. They're so stupid and wishy-washy. They need control. So he hates his job. He also hates Wallach Harkin. He's glad he's trapped on the other side of the wall. He also hates Nameless. He's just like, I, oh, I'm only doing this to get Isabella back. Yeah. You know, I really love their love story. I know it's kind of cheesy, but I love how devoted he is to her. And yeah. it all sort of springs. And I think part of it springs from that guilt from what happened. And once again, this goes back to the Von Karstein trilogy, the short story in there when it was compiled. Do you have the, do you have the compilation with the Isabella short story? Yeah, I think so. Like why she's crazy. Mm. And it's kind of his fault. Yeah. I just, I, I just love it. You know, it's like, they're vicious for no reason. He has a reason. All this stuff. He wants to recreate Nehekara. Uh, and I like how he says here, he doesn't even care about Sylvania. Sylvania was a stepping stone for him. There was a lot of dark magic there. The dead kept coming there. It was a good place for him to be to take over and run the empire. And he's like, Manfred can have it. He's like, but, you know, Manfred can have Sylvania. I don't care about it. However, we do have to settle a few things before he can have Sylvania. It's like... It's funny, he, uh, Vlad considers um, Sylvania uh, full of backward peasants and fawning inbred nobles. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. It is. I mean, it is the most backward and... and it's, a, it's like a trailer park. Of all the kingdoms in, of all the little little fiefdoms or whatever you want to call it in the empire, it is. It's got all this undead going around. People can't grow things. We talked last episode. Every place is called Death Valley, and mm-hmm. and and you know you know Dead Man's Curve, and you know the Devil's Tritone. Yeah, exactly. Sure, yeah. Oh, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. I also like this. Um, this very much. I think sort of Vlad and the other vampires. I like. You know, he only is following Nagash to get back. Uh, Isabella, but 
when you compare him with, especially with Harkon, who is the the guy he's sent with, you know, Vlad is very much or sort of like the, uh, like he's he's much more like Nagash. He's much more that we need order and we need things. He is like a mini version of Nagash. We need order and people to do things a certain way, and we can, they can all do it under my benevolent rule, which is sort of what Nagash is planning. And later when Harkin shows up again, you can see Harkin's the exact opposite. Harkin's like, hell no, I'm going with chaos. <laughs> Let's kill and kill and kill until there's nothing left to kill. Yeah, yeah, well. I just I liked it as a nice sub-parallel to the stuff you're seeing in the other story with Nagash and the chaos gods. And here you've got the servants of the two and the, their mindsets going into what they choose. Yeah, Can you guys too. talk, um, sorry, Greg, talk a little bit about uh, Manfred's involvement in Vlad's death? Were they at odds with each other or how did that all play out? Yeah, I mean, every the whole vampire culture is, um, is about power. And it's a constant, there's constant power struggles and it's always looking over your shoulder because the next one's going to rise. They're never satisfied unless they're in charge and then they're just, you know, looking after themselves. It's why almost every single vampire hates Nagash because they know they have to bend their knee to Nagash, but they want to be top dog. Um, so Vlad had a magic ring which brought him back to life whenever he died. It's, a, it's the one in the game, in the book. You know the Von Karstein yeah, yeah. ring? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Manfred made sure that that ring went missing. And, yeah, the uh, night before a big battle, the, the big battle, the one where he died, Yeah, Manfred had it stolen. Uh, yeah. Interesting. So Manfred yeah. wound up with the ring and with uh, some of the books of Nagash after that. Basically so, took Vlad out of the way so he could be the Lord of Sylvania. And he's mightily proud of the fact that he killed uh, Vlad, who was probably the greatest of the vampires. Yeah. And then but actually, Vlad doesn't know this. He doesn't realize oh, Manfred's... Vlad, oh, no, he knows exactly who Oh, he does. That's what he says. Okay. Manfred's got to be... That's where he says Manfred can have Sylvania. However, there are a few things we got to deal with first. Because mm. it's like, you did kill yeah. me. <clears throat> what really gets to Manfred as well is that Vlad was almost when Nagash raised Vlad, he pretty much did it straight out of out of Manfred because they share blood and all that kind of thing. So oh, did all, that happen in the book? In the novel, yes. Yeah, so he almost plucks Vlad out of Manfred and this voice in his head as well, and all that is linked together. Yeah, and Manfred hates the very the very fact. I mean, it. it it could almost be sort of worse if you brought Conrad back because they just despise Conrad. But, but yeah, he can't. Him, Vlad and Manfred is is massive. Yeah, tension. As far as the books went, if you read the trilogy, it's first one is all about Vlad, and then he dies, and uh, Manfred takes off because he gets the ring and goes out in search of the books of Nagash. So Manfred is left in charge of Sylvania, and uh, he's you know if you read the stuff, he's crazy. Conrad, yeah. Conrad. I mean, Conrad, yeah. Conrad is, yeah. and Conrad's nuts, Chris. Um, he's he goes through these rages. He's just he. Sometimes he's. I mean, he doesn't really have any vampire magic. He's just this ruthless maniac. And in the book, um, Manfred plays on that. He sends bats to him with on the wind, just making these little noises, saying, "Manfred's coming. Manfred's coming." <laughs> And it basically drives Conrad even crazier until he shows up, and he, he winds up killing Conrad, too, get, or getting Conrad killed. Hmm. So, yeah, he killed off basically all the Von Karsteins that were famous in the early books. They're all dead because of... Because of Manfred. Because of Manfred. He's been a even, busy boy. Yeah, even in the, uh, in the novel, 
like the main vampire characters, <clears throat> which are around uh, the, it's like they're all part of the Drakenhof kind of thing going on. Um, there's even power plays in that book to kill Manfred. Yeah. So it's just a constant thing that they are always vying with each other, waiting for that right moment to strike. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. That's good to know. Good background info. All right. So Vlad heads to the Rackspire, which is uh, the far east end of the Bastion by the World's Edge Mountains. Uh, and then, okay, dude, the Nameless gets in there. They get to the Bastion. He dominates every mind within 20 leagues of the wall. You get within 20 leagues of the wall, and he basically has control over your. I mean, and. He, and Here's the um, sorry, Dave. Here's the uh, confirmation. Like the unfortunate Captain Drost and the men at Old Fun, the puppets of the Nameless knew their actions were not their own. Right. Okay. So, I mean, that's got to be horrifying. I mean, just think about how terrifying that is. All of a sudden, yeah. your body's not answering you. Something else, and you could tell some other force is forcing you to do things. I mean, that's got to be horrifying. And plus, the crap he pulls later is just really weird. It would be interesting if the nameless is something completely different and not undead. How do you mean? Uh, like, I mean, you know, we've got all these races out there. It would be interesting if the nameless was another massive name. But from a different race, not, different not race. someone that... He's got to be from the Beastmen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they come off a little bit better. Um, well, Malagor does particularly in the book. They yeah. do a lot of work to, to weaken Arkan in Through Bretonia. Huh. And come close to helping the Bretonians beat them, but um, but yeah, they're still lesser. But yeah, no, I was just thinking because you know because we, we know nothing about the nameless and we can we can speculate about Wasora and all that. But all right, so okay, yeah. uh, now the nameless cannot reproduce the ritual perfectly along so much of the Bastion, so it it, it breaches here more often than anywhere else. Because nameless has got it sealed, but not perfectly. I like later you find out. Or first of all, the, the breaches here happen more often, but they are the most easily defended because, as Vlad points out, you don't actually have to get leaders and get them information, muster troops. I just think, and these guys go, and they stop, and they they fight. The undead are a very easy army to manipulate. Just go. And the more northmen that come south and then die, the more bodies you get to raise as well. Exactly. Um. Now, Gelt is actually heading west when this starts. He's heading over to his, his, you know, his job, um, and he's getting letters from Valgir the whole time telling him the, the shapeshifter's still doing things. Uh, Luther Huss, Velton's going this way, so Luther Huss is going with him. They leave Gelt alone because he, he doesn't leave Valton at all. He thinks he was sent by Sigmar. And I like how Velger's all offended by that because he's a priest of Ulrich, not a priest of Sigmar. I don't want to hear about that Sigmar stuff. Like, uh, Sigmar, I'm glad he left his Sigmar stuff. Um, but at some point, Gelt realizes that the, he's getting information that the most of the breaches happen on the Far East. So he's like, I know I'm supposed to go over here, but I'm going to go find out why the walls are breached. I'm going to take Quicksilver and find it and then come back. Uh, and I love the part, Nameless... When he gets within 20 leagues of the place, Nameless knows he's there. And he would take him over, but he'd be a challenge to control, and the Nameless didn't care for challenges. I found that really interesting, because when we were talking about Manfred, how Manfred would fight, 
He'd rather fight, you know, 20 untrained peasants than one really mm. well-trained fighter. Yep. And uh, here, the name was the same thing. He could take over his mind, but he'd actually be able to fight back. It would be hard for me to control him, so I'm not going to bother. Like, I don't, I don't like challenges. I don't know if that's a clue to who he is. But Interesting insight, though, as to his character. Exactly. And, dude, Nameless is sick. He sits around. In fact, they said later on the real reason it's like he's not perfect at holding up the wall, the magic to hold up the the, the the bastion. But he totally could hold up the bastion, except he's too busy taking like the torturing pe- people, right? Yeah, taking the people under his control and having them fight each other and cut each other up and mutilate each other, eat their own flesh, eat their own. And once again, they are aware that they are being mind. It's not like their mind goes, you know, away. It's not like he blanks them and takes over the body. They are well aware of what's going on. Could you picture you're sitting there doing something and all of a sudden, like, you're eating dinner and your hand without your control goes off and starts, you know, you put one arm in your, uh, you know, in the in the hamburger bun and with the other <laughs> arm you start cutting off start parts of it and start eating it. it. Yeah, and you're like, I mean, dude, that... It, if you really stop and think about what they're telling you is going on here, it's horrifying. Mm. I mean, just the just just think about all the horrible ways you could mutilate and harm yourself, and then some some unseeable force just making you do it. It's like saw go on, 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 on like just just going horribly wrong. If you know if that even makes sense, it's it's almost demonic in, in behavior. So that theory of him it being. Uh, Ball uh, Kemmler to me is not as strong because right? right. of what I know I of Kemmler. Yeah, I don't think any of us think he's Kemmler. No, uh, it was mentioned um, somewhere else oh, that as Kemmler kind of reborn. That they thought Kemmler got reborn, but it just I it think, just yeah, just the level doesn't add up for starters. But even Warson was Warson this vicious? I know somebody you know somebody in that Nagash series was a real. Vicious. But I'm trying to think of who it was, and I'm, I read it too long ago. I'm trying to look it up myself, to be honest. Um, is that sort of uh, the 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 afflictions that he's ordering these people to do? Is that could that be dark elf in in nature? It's well, you know, I mean, they are sick, but you know, yeah, coming up with the name for that kind of person, unless it's someone new that we never knew about, right? But, yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's hard. I, I, who knows? Um, well, I think they're certainly having a lot of fun playing with us. Yeah. <laughs> the authors, I mean. Yeah. So uh, Vlad also knows Gelt is there. You know, he can sense that he's there too. And he hurries to get there to get to Gelt because he doesn't know. I mean, obviously he doesn't know that, that Nameless doesn't want to try to take him over. He's like, dude, Nameless may just try to take him over and do something, and that's going to screw up my plans. So he goes over there, and he tries to get him as a willing ally. Uh, he gives him a copy of Revelations Necris, which is one of Nagash's nine books. It's a copy. And Gel still doesn't trust him, but the seeds Vlad plants that meeting will grow into fruition. And there is a great, another great part here. Um, it's on, uh, it's one of the story pages on 189, you know, where they actually go right into the, the story, you know, more as a, as a play than as a first-hand the, narrative. Yeah. Um, where, oh, hold on. 
If you're going to kill me and Vlad left, it was a strangely warm sound, Gelt thought, for so cold heart a fiend. Be not so hasty, my good man. You labor under a misunderstanding. We need not be enemies. In fact, I very much hope we can be allies. And he says, you want an alliance with the Empire? Is that hard to believe? You And he goes, uh, I don't propose to ally myself with the Empire as a whole, not yet. I don't believe your people are ready to accept my aid, though they will in time, whether they wish it or not. Gelt snorted. And you esteem me to be more easily manipulated? Vlad wagged an admonishing finger. Oh, I know that you are. <laughs> I just picture him almost like my grandfather giving me that finger. Oh, I know it. <laughs> Don't try to play with me. I understand you better than you think. I just, I, I love that scene where Vlad's just like almost laughing at him. I mean, let's face it. Gelt's, I mean, he's an impressive wizard. But I mean, <laughs> Vlad's got. But he's nothing. still only human, right? And Vlad's just there, and he's already just sort of toying with him. He's like, "I know what you're thinking. I saw the things you've been doing. Here's this book, you know, this, just mm-hmm. that that temptation is going there." But I left a little wagging the finger. I know you. <laughs> <laughs> uh uh-uh. Exactly. It is exactly. And then he's like, "Okay, well." Vled stood up sharply and with a sweeping bow gestured to the cylinder. Then leave. You will find your steed and belongings waiting in the stable. No one will stop you. And he said, you, you need not make a decision. The offer will remain open indefinitely. And that you know, and he gives him the book. Uh, just really, I mean, just well written and well played here. Mm-hmm. I love this scene with <laughs> that finger wave. Just got me. Just, I picture that in my head. It's one of those images that sticks with me through the whole book. <laughs> Just before we move on, there is another name linked with the nameless, uh, Drachenfels, which goes back a long way, and it's not really, it's kind of before I was into Warhammer. Um, but it's an undead bloke, blah, 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 um, war, hold on, uh, wear, wear a body and amalgamated from the corpses of chosen victims. And just get a new one. And if we get down to the poison feast, this is what makes me sound like it could be this guy. Uh, Drakenfels instantly, uh, ostensibly repented his crimes, renounced evil, paying large reparations to living victims and basing themselves at the graves of many others. He managed to gain the trust of Emperor Carolus and invited the whole imperial court for a feast at Castle Drakenfels. Um, he poisoned his guests, paralyzing them, and then allowed them to watch how their children, which they brought with them, were tortured. Afterwards, they starved to death and prepared a feast before their eyes. With a feast before, yeah. Oh, so, uh, oh it could be him too, you're right. So that kind of thing suggests it could be this guy who, again, because he's so old, they can do with what they want. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's two possibilities. The Drakenfels theory, to me, is, is more intriguing. Yeah, he's a, yeah. Uh, is a powerful and extremely old necromancer and demonologist. Yeah. He, Oof. the old world. I think you found so, it, Greg. Yeah, well, not me. You know, someone else. Um, but yeah. Well, of the three of us, you got it. So, um, but I love this other stuff in here. Um, Gelt starts to think Vlad and the Empire could have some common cause. Of course, if he knew about all the killings in the Raxpire, it might have frightened him off. But he never got there. Um, he starts thinking of excuses why an alliance could be good. Uh, he's pointing out a week of near sleeplessness has robbed him of his sound reason. So he's like, he's not thinking this could work. He's not sleeping. 
He's holding off the northern invasions almost single-handedly for weeks, if you're reading this. The, the, when things fall down, he's just... He's actually summoning... Is there some parts where he actually uses the undead, although not everybody knows it's him. You know, like some people don't realize it's him. They just The undead are coming and attacking the northerners when they come through. Um, he's too tired. And I'm wondering, is he going crazy? Because they describe this in this sort of madness. As a, this is full of wonder and potential. And I was like, is, he, is, is that having too many straight winds of magic, being able to touch them all? Is, it said, you pay the price of your sanity. And I'm like, it's this, I'm wondering if this is what's happening to him here. Hmm. Oh, it's all building up. Yeah. Just the pressure that's been put. I mean, pressure can do amazing things to people. You know, the, the lack of sleep. Yeah, as you say, you know, the, the, utilizing magics he should never have been able to utilize. Just the contact he had with that mysterious being might have been doing stuff. Um, and he's already blurred enough lines as it is. You know, right. Just meeting with Vlad is, you know, you could be killed for that. So, yeah. So, um, okay, so then we get to, you know what? Um, let's see. You know what? Let's get through this message really quick from Valgier and take another break. So the message comes through, and Valgier says that there's no progress in catching the shapeshifter. Um, Gelt is freaking out. He starts reading Vlad's gift book. He hides himself away in the mansion. There's the odd lights. Nobody allowed around. Um, that's when the North invades, and Gelt just raises the dead and to fight them. And most of the soldiers there saw Vlad's undead, so they're not freaked out by this. And very few know that, that Gelt and he did it, so they don't even worry about it. But uh, that's when Captain Driest, who, you know, his whole body was taken over. He talks to one of these priests, Sigmar Hans Kreiner. And Kreiner's like, oh, I'm going to go find out what this is all about. Uh, and then he goes up there and no one ever sees him again. And Gelt's like, oh, I never saw him. No one knows where he is. So Driest just runs. And he finds Ludenhoff and tells him about it. And you know what? Let's take a break and finish off what happened with Ludenhoff and stuff here, okay? Okay. Okay. His mind bubbling with contempt and annoyance, Vlad watched Ludenhoff's escort right away. Ludenhoff is blind to your achievements, the vampire cautioned Gelt. Even now he plots to destroy you. You're wrong, the wizard replied. He'll see the necessity of it. They all will. Vlad laughed. Wise men are always the most foolish. Did you not see the look in his eyes? Hear the tremor in his voice? He fears what you have done and will see you destroyed for it. What would you have me do now? Gelt demanded quietly. Vlad arched his eyebrow. He said nothing, but Gelt took his meaning all the same. No, the wizard said angrily. What I have done, I have done to save lives, not end them. Then when next you lay eyes on Ludenhoff, it will be at your burning. Everything we have worked for will have been for nothing, and the dark gods will laugh at your stupidity. No, Gelt said again, but his voice was tired, pleading against an inescapable truth. If your allegiance is to mankind's survival, you cannot afford loyalty to individual men. Vlad pointed out. Is Ludenhoff's life worth more than the hundreds of thousands who will die if he denounces you? Geltz was silent for a time, but when he spoke again, his voice was firm. No, no it isn't. Good, thought Vlad. The lesson had been learned. I appreciate the difficulty this must present. I will attend to it if you wish. The vampire offered careful that mockery was absent from his tone. Gelt shook his head. No, 
he replied resolutely. The burden is mine to bear. Good. Vlad replied, grasping the wizard's shoulder. Then there is yet hope for us all. And we're back. Chapter 4 continued. Yes. Yes. And uh, so he uh, he's going a little nutty here. Um, huh. uh, he runs, uh, you know, Gelt is getting crazy. And as we talked about, Captain Driest ran. Uh, Hans Kreiner, the priest of Sigmar, just disappears. So he goes to talk to Count Ludenhoff. Uh, now, Ludenhoff is is understandably skeptical. I mean, this guy is acting crazy. His his story is he's having trouble even telling the story. Um, he's visibly rattled. Um, then he gets to where he's like, "Come over here! You've got to see what's happening." He gets over towards towards this place, and there is a wall of bone reinforcing reinforcing the auric bastion because it's been failing so many times he's just built another wall behind it out of bones uh and gelt is all happy invites him in offers him tea hey look the dead can help our defenses and there's no risk to lives if we're using these dead bodies to fight and ludenhoff's like "Uh (laughs) uh-huh it's like he said if gelt was a little more in his mind he would realize that People think he's crazy. Um, and so he leaves. Like, oh, well, that's that's great. Um, yeah, listen, I'll just talk to you soon. And <laughs> he goes to leave, and Vlad's watching from the tower. He's like, uh, you realize he's going to tell the emperor on you. <laughs> no. I mean, dude, how far gone is Gelt at this point? It's just like, uh, no, what? Yeah, he, he's lost. He's definitely lost. Yeah, well, yeah, he can't see that anyone's not following his logic. Yeah. And and Vlad's like, listen, you got to go and you got to stop him. And he's like, what do you mean, kill him? No, I, I'm not, I can't kill him. He's, you know, he says he can't kill him because. He, and then Vlad sort of gives it a whole. All right, fine. If you can't do it, I'll go do it. You know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what's the matter, McFly Chicken? <laughs> and uh, okay, I'll do it. So he goes out there, and uh, Ludenhoff's trying to get there, and he they're, he they're going down the road. There's Gelt a- ahead of them, and, and just in the middle of the road. And he's trying to convince him that I'm on the right track. I know what I'm doing. And he reaches in to show him something. And one of the outriders thinks he's going for a weapon or something. And and he shoots Gelt. And, the, of course, the undead who he's, he's got all around him is attack. Yeah, they think that they're trying to inflict harm on Gelt. So they're... Right. And I think Gelt is in his subconscious, you know, goes to the defense there. And um, so everyone gets killed. And he actually says no and stops them mid-swing before they kill Count Ludenhoff. And he's looking at him. This was kind of sad. This like, part was tragic. Because it's like he doesn't even know what to say to him. He, like, he wants to explain. And he's like, there's just that look he's getting from Ludenhoff. And he's like, there's just there's no words. Like, I can't, I can't explain it. I can't. He's never going to listen. So he turns you around. You can just see, like, the, in slow motion, like the the exchanged looks that they have with each other. Like, I'm trying to help you, yeah, but you're too far gone. Like the sh- that whole tragic yeah. exchange. You could totally envision that. You watch Gelt's shoulders slump, and then Ludenhoff's chest expand as he's good because he says Gelt doesn't see that he dies unbowed. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't give in. He doesn't give yeah. up. And these things that kill him, and and Vlad's like, yes, all right, he's 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 taken the last step. You know, because there's Vlad. The, the, the necessity of ruthlessness is now there. 
Does do you guys pity Gelt in any way? I kind of do. Yeah, I mean he's pompous and he's an ass, but he he really is trying. He I mean he has the empire's best, you know, interest in mind, right? Yeah. E- even if he is. Um, you know, kind of, kind of egotistical. He's being used in such a tragic way. Hey, Darth Vader had the best interest of the Empire in mind. I yeah, mean, it, you know, it's it's. Just, I mean, restoring order. Yeah, know. but every step he's made has been like reasonable, bearing in mind where he was when he made it. You know, and he, you know, he was given grief for trying to hold Sylvania back. He's given grief. Uh, the, you know, over the Auric Wall, and he's been running his rear end off trying to save the Emperor. And then, you know, and all he's had it from it in the last few weeks is grief. And the magic's driving him crazy. Obviously, yeah. he's going crazy. He's not sleeping. He's not in his right mind. And now, granted, he is taking steps and doing things. You know, it's like that slippery slope. He is. He was willing to step into the gray area. And raise yeah. some dead and do these things in defense, and then he oh that wasn't actually that bad. So then he steps a little farther. That wasn't that bad, and now he's now he's gone over the edge. I mean, it's it's every tragic story. He just keeps going that one little bit too far. I wonder where the uh, what would happen if he wasn't there though to put up the wall. Oh, I mean, with the way they slept, the the way they swept through. Kislev. All, yeah, Kislev and all that. Oh, I mean, it's important that he slowed him down this much. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 I think it's sad. What about you, Chris? Yeah, total tragic character. Just to see this uh, downward spiral that that he's in and to see that you know, he's discovered this great resource in the undead. Now, granted, if you ha- if you were able to utilize undead to, you know, for construction or whatnot for war, that be would be a great resource, but you Nagash know, did it. Nagash is our, he did it all the time. Yeah. So, but meanwhile, he's getting correspondence from Valgier, the shapeshifter is following Huss and Valton. Now, of course, he's following Huss and Valton. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I'm starting to suspect. Because you know it can't be Valton. I know they've changed the story somewhat, but it can't be Valton. And that's basically what Valgier does. He says, you know, he's doing all this stuff. He doesn't actually say it's Valton. But all this trouble seems to be following Valton. And now tomorrow, Carl Franz is going to present Galmaraz to Valton. And I love how they point out that this is a total political move by Carl Franz. He's gathering. You know, Volton is getting so much popularity that he needs to remind the people of his own family and his own house and his, his own point, point in the empire. And, you know, by saying, okay, I'm going to let you borrow this. You are obviously the chosen of Sigmar. I am the emperor. Take this, you know, as, as one of my champions, sort of thing. Still asserting his position. I liked that. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't know what you guys thought, but I was like, okay, clever. Yeah, but absolutely. Because the last thing he needs is a load of people saying, no, stuff the emperor. We're following Sigmar because Sigmar comes ahead of the emperor. Right. That was a bad thing. So the ceremony's going on, and Gelt comes in on Quicksilver and lands Quicksilver right next to Deathclaw. So you got these two, you got a Pegasus next to this, next to this bird here. And Carl Franz is like, what is this? Demands his explanation. And Gelt sounds crazy. It's Fulton. He's a, he's a shapeshifter. I mean, you know there's got to be something wrong here. And um, Carl Franz is like, you know what? Get him out of here. Now he's had enough. 
get him out of here. And they grab him and they start to pull him away. And he panics. No, I have to protect the emperor. And sort of subconsciously just reaches out into his magic. And all of a sudden the dead start coming out from everywhere. Well, this, this part I had somewhat of... Not an issue. I, I did question it a little bit because it says that he tries to cast a delaying spell, but he accidentally casts an undead summoning spell. Now, I, I get it. He's exhausted. He's kind of losing it. But that part was a little bit um, hard to believe, I think, in terms of the narrative. He's been spending weeks reading one of Nagashi's nine books. So you don't know how much he's being affected by that. And he's also been doing nothing but all this undead magic all this time. I'm thinking tired, a little crazy, panicked. But it's also, and the world's suffused with uh, death magic. And this, you know, Shaiish is, you know, the undead are coming to to life almost at will. It would be a lot easier to do that. Yeah, I I suppose if you put it in that context, it's easier to believe rather than, oh, I meant to cast this, but I accidentally cast that. Exactly. And it's not even, his mind is not even to that point where he's, you know, conscious or always able to think that clearly, I don't think. Hmm. So, yeah, so then he does this and it comes out and everybody panics and goes crazy. Um, And Gelt is just like, that's it. And he sends all the undead after Valton. And of course, everybody else there is like, what the hell are you doing? You know, there there is a part of the the book that says that Vlad senses that this is happening and smiles. Yes, so is, is Vlad like manipulating Gelt into? Is he causing him to accidentally cast the other spell? He must be. I don't. I never got the impression that he did that because I saw the. I felt that that you know they said he just felt it having smiled, but he smiled that you know Gelt is now his. Yeah, it's Vlad's more of a, a manipulator rather than an actual kind of. Forcing, I see. Okay. Yeah, that's that's how I took it. Is you know he sees this happening. Gelt is Gelt is doing it on his own without Vlad having to be nearby and help him. Vlad's Vlad's laid all the plans down. Vlad's you know tutored him and and laid all the little bits he needs to lay. And Gelt uh, has taken those steps then. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Makes sense. So um, and Schwarzhelm's there. Treachery. <laughs> Treachery. And yeah, he's going after him. I love Kurt Helborg. He's just looking towards Gelt, and he's like, he's fought enough of these battles. Kill the wizard and the battle. (laughs) He's doing all these other things will fall down if I get him. And it's a good strategy. He's been working against Tomb Kings and VC for years. (laughs) It's just with the release of this book that that no longer works in the game. But uh, Well, only if you're playing under Legion. Yeah, well, I will be if I can get my druthers. Hey. There's going to be a lot of Tomb King and Vampire Counts trophies left on shelves. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's going out there, and you find out uh, that Valger's the changeling, if you haven't figured out from what we've been saying already. Um, he's following Valton. He's sending the message. He's, you know, all this. So Valton slams into the changeling. You know, he goes up there, and he's about to kill Carl Franz, and Valton saves Carl Franz. Hits the changeling, and they start rolling on the floor. And then it's every movie thing where the guy's a shapeshifter. They start spinning, rolling, and then when they stop rolling, there's two identical Valtons. Mm. Which one is it? <laughs> and you can't trick Deathclaw because he can smell it. 
Yeah, you know, like a demon. Yeah. And so Death Cloud just rips into this one and uh, he wounds a changeling. Oh, but he won't he won't be uh, determined. He, it's determined not to be thwarted so close to his prey. Then he screeched in pain as Schwartzhelm, his burnt skin livid and his armor blackened, charged forward to thrust the staff of the Emperor's standard deep into the demon's threshing mass. Before the changing of pry his way clear, Schwartzhelm's sword hacked deep into the creature's cowl. With a final shriek, the demon collapsed, his body deliquescing into vile fluid as he fell. So, yeah, Schwartzhelm just, you know, he's the banner bearer of the emperor. So, well, take that banner, shove it through the thing's chest. <laughs> yeah. So there, there goes that guy. Gelt, at this point, realized that Valger's played him. Possibly Vlad, Vlad's played him a little bit, too. So he runs, which is what he's got to do. And this, this battle, this little battle with the undead is, becomes known as Gelt's Folly. When you realize that Gelt has just sort of been an idiot at this point. Poor yeah. guy. Which brings us a new uh, head of the Colleges of Magic. Well, there's a whole bunch of fallout. That's one of it. Yeah, so who's uh, Gregor Martak from Martak. the Amber College? Yeah. Is there something I should know about that guy? No, no, nothing about him. Seriously? No, but it'd okay. be quite cool. If you never know. He might become more prominent if they carry the stories on. Cool. So, so we got a new Supreme Patriarch. The Witch Hunters start a purge of the Gold College and the other colleges. And unless you're actually maintaining the Bastion, you're, you're under suspicion. Your subjects. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Gelt runs off with Vlad and becomes his student. And here's the thing. Dude, okay. Grand Theogenes Castle says, We will no longer support maintaining this Bastion. It was created by the obviously corrupted Gelt. We can't be sure the Bastion itself isn't corrupt. We're not going to do it. Carl Frank's like, you have to. Here's the one time where his statesmanship doesn't work. He even tries to get this guy fired. Yeah. And the whole, the whole, uh, the whole, you know, priesthood of Sigmar rallies around him and keeps him from, you know, keeps him from getting fired. Um, and so two weeks later, the bastion collapses. Now, yes. this pisses me off to no end. Why is that? Okay. I know it has to fall. I mean, I know the story. Chaos has to come sweeping through, right? But I'm sitting here, even as I'm reading this, I know it has to happen. I know at some point in the story. But I'm like, are you, are you that stupid? Are you guys that? I mean, it was just... It's really well, they're, they're not stupid. They're fanatical. Uh, well, okay. Or, or prideful. So, you know, pride be. overshadows pride here. Right. It's, we, it's yeah. all of that. I mean, you only have to look at the way the witch hunters go about their business. Um, you know, they're quite prepared to kill 20 innocents to get their one heretic. Um, you know, it, there is nothing worth, you know, it's, it's not worth the cost of being tainted with this magic, even if it keeps them alive. Yeah, I mean, and I get that, but it was just like, I was sitting there going, oh, God, come on. Like, if there were, it's some sort of treachery or something that would have brought the thing down, but it was brought down simply because the these guys were just like, you know what? Nah, we're not doing this no more. We know it's protecting everybody, but we can't deal with it. That's very, it's very of the Empire. Yeah. yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah. I guess I was just, but I was so reading, going, no, no, please don't tell me they're going to, no, no, oh, you, <laughs> you dunces. All right, so I suppose we should get to this bet. Oh, I love this part. 
Gurugath is still in the damn wall. Yeah. So as the wall starts to fail, he's in there shoving and pushing. And remember, they said the, that the demons couldn't even get near it. So I'm wondering if it was painful to be in there. Oh, yeah, probably. So as, as soon as it starts giving way, he starts pushing against it, and he starts pushing and crashing. And he, that, so he, that part of the wall falls first because he's helping it along and smashes it out. Um, and Alderfen is overrun in hours. Within hours, the, the, that, that first battle, that whole place is overrun. The northern Ostermark is overrun within days. And Carl Franz is gathering up his forces to, to stop him, and he's confused because he doesn't get why he's overrunning the Ostermark, why he hasn't turned over towards Middenheim, Talibheim, and Wolfenburg when these are traditionally the more popular targets. Um, but Vlad knows exactly why. They're heading for Sylvania. He's like, yeah. they're heading straight for Sylvania because that's where all the death magic is funneled to. And Chaos knows what Nagash is trying to do, and they are trying to stop him. So this is where Vlad looks at Nameless and say, you stay here and keep torturing innocent people. I got to go support the emperor, whether he likes it or not. I love that part. He's going to help the emperor whether he likes it or not. Unlikely alliance there. <laughs> it's just... <clears throat> Vlad just so doesn't want to be here. He just wants his wife back. And he's just like, oh. You know, he's like in a, stuck in a job that he hates. Exactly. He's like, oh, oh, no, no. Ugh. So here he is doing this. And this is where the battle of of uh, Hafengen is, yeah. is going to happen. Um, I guess we should at least start it. I guess we don't need to take a break right now. We've only been going for about 15 minutes. So um, I love that the emperor gets there and says, no, nah, he was thinking he could use the city as a defense. And then he's like, uh, no, no, uh, you guys haven't kept up the walls. This would be a death trap for us to go in there. We're just going to run forward and be outside of the place. It's going to work much better. And um, so here we got the, I got the defenses listed here. Let's see. Uh, on the eastern defenses, General Godfrey Tello. And, oh, they've hired Grub Kin Eater and the Blood Fist mercenaries to also defend this end. And Valton and Luther Huss are there with the army of Sigmar. We got Flagellans, people. <laughs> I love the Flagellans. I love the models. I love the concept. I wish they were better in the Empire Army. You saw them more often because they're just about the – they're like the slayers of the human army. They're just the coolest damn things. So you pronounce them Flagellans? Greg, how do you pronounce it? Flagellance. That's how I pronounce it as well. Oh, I don't know if one okay. is right or not. Well, hold on a second. We'll find out. Give me one second. I don't trust this thing you've got that you use. Is this the Google Reader? No, dictionary.com. Yeah, I still don't trust it. Because I, I still don't hear people say palanquin ever. And it might, <laughs> but I, I never hear it. <clears throat> That's how you say it, palanquin. Sure, if you want to mutilate the English language. And you're from England. Shame on you. It's, so we should say Harlequin. Well, no. If you look at here, it says it that way, but underneath it, it says flagellant and flagellant. You can actually say it both ways. Like the, in the in the phonetics, it's got it there both ways. But flagellant. So you don't want to admit that you could be wrong, huh? Well, no, because I'm flagellant. But it lists both pronunciations as being okay. So e- I, either way, I guess technically is correct. But to me, you know, yeah, you know why the second one's there. It's because language grows. So every time people mispronounce it, they're like, Palantine. oh, we'll just make it sound like that anyway. Palantine. It's easier. 
I think flagellant sounds right. But anyway, carry on. Palantine. Could be worse. You could be pronouncing the G in wah. That that <laughs> me no end. I've stopped listening to podcasts because of that. Okay, I don't mind if they say wog. I still the thing that uh, the one no, that the no, it's not wog. No, it's not wog. But there's a okay, but it's not Calvary. Calvary is the deal breaker. Calvary is the worst. But <laughs> because it's fast calve. There's no yep. part where there's a calve in that. So That's when right. you flip that around, that makes absolutely no sense. I'm waiting for say to some uh, waiting for someone to say that they wogged through the empire, <laughs> swinging their sword. In a rough way, it's like no wah 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 with their calf, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with their calf out. <laughs> our heavy anyway. calf with their swords. That's our two minutes of Ohio hammer. Oh, oh holy crap! <laughs> when we were at Adepticon, very quickly, when we were at um, Adepticon, <laughs> eating the meal with Andy, and I saw his uh, daughter uh, Lila. And it's spelt differently to the more regular way of spelling it. And my first thought was, he just got it wrong. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. It's the way that, that uh, <laughs> Mrs. wanted it spelt. But is, is it bad that that was my first thought? I did tell him that. He did laugh. Okay, as long as he laughed, because otherwise i got to edit this. No, he laughed. No, it was, uh, it was just oh, one dude, of those... We were making fun of him over when we went all, all went to Portillo's and... <laughs> Yeah. He called it Portillos. Portillos. He's like, I, I'm like, that's like, Mac, that's Spanish. Portillos. I'm like, this, this is a hot dog joke. What the hell are you thinking? So he got made fun of mercilessly for that the rest of the evening. I actually felt bad making fun of him, but because Andy's nah, a good guy and all. Good guy. I should edit this anyway. Yeah. All right. So what else? Uh, let's see. The Western defenses. <laughs> Garrett Murky, the Lord General of Talibheim with the Army of Talibheim. Now, this guy's looking to make, it actually says he's looking to na- make a name for himself. He knows that the last Lord General of one of these places or one of these elector, one of these elector counts has died, and he'd like to be named the next elector count. So, and Carl French does not care for this guy's politics and for his obvious, I guess it's very obvious that he's trying to, that he's trying to climb the social status here. But he's like, you know what? He can hold. He can do the job, and he's working hard to do the job. So uh, I'm going to give it to him anyway. And then um, the emperor himself, with the soldiers of Altdorf and Kurt Helborg and his Reichsguard, they yeah. hold the center. Uh, in addition, all the people fl- fleeing from chaos are also filling up the city because all the people running from before. Um, so there, we're set up for battle. All right, so shall we? Shall we get into this battle? This guy for it. All right, there's so many of them. Once again, this this comes up a lot in the book too. There's so wall to wall people there that cannons, guns, and spears first handle the vanguard because you can't miss. You know, yeah. uh, they just keep coming. Guragath is there. He's all pissed uh, because he's not the leader anymore. He's just one of several generals. Yeah. Total demotion. I do wonder why the cannons are just firing into the vast numbers of troops and not the really big things. Yeah. But, yeah. You know. What are you going to do? Um, no, but the attack from the north is really unguided. It's just running toward the center. It's not regimented. It's coming in all piecemeal. And this is really great because the emperor loses five regiments in the first three minutes of battle. Yeah. 
And that's because they and the only reason he's able to hold up as well as he did in those first three minutes of battle is simply because um, they were coming in sort of piecemeal and they're able to hold a bit. Uh, Kurt Helborg, let's go. Like the emperor doesn't order him forward or anything. He's like, we're going, and they just take off. And the when they see him go, the Altdorvers always come up and charge behind him. Um, and of course, Helborg personally kills the warlord of the Vanguard force. Because as much as I like him, he's a little bit about he's a little bit of a glory hound too. <clears throat> oh, yeah. I think he's a little he's a little crazy. I don't think he's playing with a full deck. Helborg, yeah. Um. I don't seemed know. a little kind of out there. And the stuff I've read about him before, like the stuff with the the couple of uh, Black Library books and stuff. Uh, I mean, they actually place after the Storm of Chaos, so they're not in this timeline now. But yeah, oh, that's true. He is a glory hunter, and he is um, a bit of an arse as well. Yeah, <laughs> but and he, you know, he, they talk about him having a dream that he's going to ha- meet his demise at the hands of a Nurgle demon. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. Um, maybe, maybe he has. Sigmar gifted him a dream. Ah. So I don't know. I don't even remember that part. So that's bad. So Gurgoth attacks, and he's up the center as well. Now the flanks are pretty much unattacked because everyone's going right for the center. Um. So they just the, the, the artillery batteries in the west just start raining down death on them, just shooting at them. Uh, from the east. Valton and Luther Hush charge in with the army of Sigmar right behind. And guess what? The light of Sigmar is playing upon Valton's brow. <laughs> uh, of course it is. <laughs> I sent the theme here. <laughs> the North. Okay, this is great. The Northlanders are actually afraid. I'm just picturing all these marauders, all these Conan-looking bastards charging in. And all these flagellants. <laughs> whatever. I'll go with the flow. All these flagellants come running in. You know, I do say flagellants, don't I? Why would I say flagellants? Whatever. <laughs> That's to you guys. I don't care. The point being, these guys come running in, and they are stark, raving, crazy. I mean, these guys are like, like you said, they're like slayers, but they're just even worse. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, it, have they cut out their tongues at this point and everything? Uh, yeah, I think that's they have yeah. at this point. <laughs> their preparation. Yeah. They, they do a prayer and you know, yeah. out come the tongues. And so now it's the Northlanders are afraid of them. Like this, when you've got guys who are uh, 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 you know um, trying to attain status of chaos warrior and get their armor, charging in here, and uh, they're afraid. These guys must be nuts. And Helborg attacks and just smashes it up. The Reichsguard smashing it up. Helborg hurt, hurts Guragath because he's you know he's got a rune fang as well. Yeah, magical weapon. Um. Then, uh, but Gurugath knocks him off his horse and stuns him, smashes him, and um, and that's the point where when 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 Helborg gets knocked off his horse, that's when Carl Franz decide it's time to get in here. Um, oh, yeah. And I'm like, yes, Carl Franz is coming in because every time you see him in the game, it's like, oh man, he's pretty tough. Um, yeah. And he hasn't fought yet; he's just been statesman. I've never actually seen him in any book actually fighting. He's always the guy, the statesman, sending people out. So I'm like, here he goes. Uh, the scalings are running. The, uh, the, the the army of Sigmar has got them on the run. Um, so they hear the the they hear the army of Sigmar without all their tongues screaming and cheering. The rest of the 
the guys that are under attack. Uh, this this sort of builds their confidence, encourages them. I like the ogres have stopped fighting now that things are going well to start eating the dead because they've had crappy rations with this empire guys for the last two weeks. So I guess undead is uh, good eating. Well, they're eating the dead. I'm just assuming they're not eating the undead. They're oh, eating all those chaos uh, marauders. A true oak would eat the undead as well. They eat anything. What does he care? Yeah, that's just cured meat. Yeah, sure. exactly. <laughs> yeah. They've been, they've been sitting out for a few weeks. I, they might get you a little gassy, but that doesn't mean you don't eat them. Right. Uh, and then Crom shows up, Archeon's Herald. And isn't Crom, wasn't he like a real character? Don't I remember him having a model? In the Storm of Chaos book, he was, yeah. He was the Crom's Light Herald. Um, yeah, he went Champion to the, of Archeon. Yeah, and he led certain parts of the lines. Yeah, So, but he's here with these warriors, and they're armored. And so the the flagellants... The flagellants, sorry. Okay, so the flagellants <laughs> have no effect on these guys. Like, they can't bust the chaos armor. And the army of Sigmar is wiped out completely, except for Vulton and Luther Huss. And uh, so the Ostermark tries to come to their aid, but it's not paying attention. And they go in too quick, and they wind up getting flanked uh, by the second wave of the Kurgan that are coming in. And um, so you see these empires forces start to hold, and uh, Gerg King Kin Eater looks up from all the from the from chewing on these people. Goes, all right, guys, let's get ready. Hold your positions. They, they can't run. They get ready. We're going to get a hit. And uh, this is when Vlad takes the field. And I liked this. I liked this part very much. Where Vlad, um, the whole army's been hiding in the river. Yeah. He went in at night and just had all the undead walk into the river and sit there. He's hiding in a building with the Drakenhof and with Gelt. So they just come out of the river, displace all this water, and come onto the field, and they just start crushing chaos. Um, did anyone else think that was cool that he had him hiding in the river? I just, I just liked it. It's a, it's a, it's a nice little way of seeding the uh, the battlefield. Well, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. They, and they do something similar to that later in the next yeah. chapter, I noticed, too. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting tactic. Well, it's, yeah, it's that whole thing they don't need to breathe. So, Right. <laughs> but so now Hus goes after Krom, and he takes – now, Krom steps aside and, and takes out the horse. So he now he's done. So Krom starts whooping Hus's ass, and he's about to kill him, and Valton gets in the way. And they start fighting. He actually goes after uh, Valton's horse, but Valton's horse is a gift from the Emperor, and he's a well-trained war horse, and he dodges out of the way. I love that. The horse just sidesteps. <laughs> this Pretty this, agile. Uh, yeah. So Krom's got his axe. Valton's got Galmaraz. He gets Valton off the horse. He's about to smash him. Hus jumps in and grabs his arms. Not enough. He's not strong enough to stop Krom, but he's strong enough to slow him down for a second or so. And that's all Volta needs. He gets up and puts a hammer right through his chest and then right through his skull. Um, and at this point, Vlad's looking around and, uh, you know, he's looking at the east is secure, but the west is under attack by Akarak the Crow and his almost a thousand knights. And nothing is really slowing them down. And, oh, this is the cool part. This is the part where that, that, that oh, oh, God, this... How many of you felt bad for this guy? Do you remember this part? Do you know what, I'm get, what we're getting to here? Uh, the crow. 
Yeah, this is where the crows come in with the thousand knights and that one guy from the Amethyst College that didn't die. Yeah. Oh, he launches the purple sun? Yeah. Okay. Now, he knows he's translucent, so he's got this hood and everything on over him, right? This long cloak, the hood. He walks up there. He... He's about to throw the spell. He tosses his robes back and then begins to start the spell. And I'm going, really, did you have to throw it off your head to do that? I'm just thinking, I mean, granted, it looked nice and everything, but I just kind of... Every movie ever. <laughs> exactly. Sure. But it's like you're, you've been this hiding is, what you look like all this time. And this like, is what we're doing. He knows he's dead anyway. It doesn't matter. Once he's cast a spell, he's dead. Yeah. So you may do it. You may as well do it knowing... That you know, hold on. This is me. I know I'm going to die. I'm doing my job. Huh? Okay. Yeah, I guess I buy that. I just felt bad. I'm like, why'd you do that? So he throws the purple sun right through the cav units, and he takes out a ton of it. And I love it. It turns them into crimson veined statues of crystal. Now, does it actually describe that in like the spell that that's what happens to them? Because yes. I just okay. Because I guess I never read it that close, or I read it once and never paid attention. Because no, no one to the fluff or anything like that on the on the spells. No, yeah. well, they just roll the spell and take it off. Well, that's it. Even I don't read the fluff on the spells. That should be telling you something. Because when I read it, I'm like, oh, that's cool. But yeah, that's what it does. He's still I've had a f- turned to crystal a number of times. <laughs> He's still a faithful son of the empire, and his payment. General walks up, looks at him. He's translucent. Bam. Pulls out the, the the pistol in his side and puts a bullet through his head. And the purple sun then dissipates before it can kill even more of our enemies. Once again, just like with the wall. You know, he shoots him before his spell can get the best effect out, I guess. Well, purity comes with a price. Yep. Yeah. What yep. good is it to win the battle if you lose your soul? I guess so. All right, so we're getting close to the end here, guys. This is getting exciting. Carl Franz and Deathclaw are fighting with Guragoth. Helborg finds a horse and tries to get back in a fight, but he's blocked by all these plague eaters. And here's the part. Oh, I love this part. Hold on. Once Carl Franz hefted his sword. Oh, this is okay. This is where he's fighting, and it's it's this cool description. Um, he's used to fighting with Galmaraz, but he gave that to Valton. So he's got his rune fang, and he's using that, chopping into this great unclean one. It had been many years since he had wielded the Reichland rune fang in battle, and he'd forgotten how light and lithe the blade felt in his hand. Where Galmaraz was a bludgeon fit to crush any barrier before it, Dragontooth was a weapon of finesse, as well honed as only a dwarfish blade could ble- could be. So I like he's got these two dwarfish weapons. One's the one's you know well honed and sharp and cut, and the other one's just this complete bludgeon. Yeah, I just love made, the description. Yeah, they Dwarfs made all the rune fangs for the Empire. Yep. That was Sigmar's day. Yep. Did they ever talk about how many rune fangs were made? Is it just a handful? Uh, or Was it 10? 12, I think. 12, oh, no, you're right. It was a dozen. It took it's, Alaric the Mad. Was took him so long to get it done. Yeah, um, and then Kurt Helborg's got one, um, and then all the other, and Thingy and all the other elect accounts, except for the Soland rune blade was lost. Um, I can't quite remember, but yeah. I forget. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but um, so you got Deathclaw is attached to Guragoth's back, and he's got his claws in him. He's ripping chunks of him out. Guragoth's trying to get him. He can't. So D- Deathclaw actually leans in forward, and Carl Franz leans over the head of of Deathclaw and s- 
sticks the rune fang right into the back of Gurugath's skull, and Gurugath dies. And I love the part where Kurt Helborg sees this, and he's torn between admiration for Carl Franz and disappointment that someone else got to deliver the killing blow. Well, he's disappointed because that was the demon he thought he was going to fight due to his dream. Yeah. He's, oh, he I wanted, wanted to kill it. He, yeah, he wanted to be the one that killed it. Yeah, yeah this was the hero thing. He wanted to be, oh, oh that's great. Look, Carl Franz is great. Oh, why couldn't that have been me? Man, all these Imperials are so, you know, self-centered. Oh, yeah. Well, Schwarzhelm isn't. No. That was, that's the big thing about that the Swords of the Empire book. It's really good because it really plays off those two in that aspect. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, I love those parts in the beginning where Hellborg comes riding and he's like, oh, showboat, showboat, your dirty showboat. Yeah. Okay, so now Carl Franz kills the great unclean one. Good for him. And he takes off in the air and he's looking around. Uh, he looks in the west uh, at Acherach's battle, though bloody, is being won. I mean, that, that purple sun slowed it down and just decimated enough that they were able to do something. Uh, in the center, Hellborg and Schwarzhelm are rallying all the Altdorfers. And on the east, he sees the von Karsteins winning everything. And then he understands, I like this part, he understands what happened to Gelt, Gelt and resolves to take vengeance for the wizard's sundered honor. Like, as soon yeah. as he sees Vlad and all the undead there, and he sees Gelt, I think he sees Gelt. And he's like, oh, now I know what happened to him. He got, ma- he, got, he got manipulated by a master manipulator. And Friends knows all about that. He's like, oh, yeah. I'm going to get him back for that. I love the next bit, though. Oh, yeah. Bad hears the clarion call. Oh. His gaze to the north. And out of the... What was it? Um, Vlad can see them now. The scarlet armored knights of blood keep freed to come south once again. You know? Yeah, I read them. I'm like, they made it. They survived. I'm like, that's right. Blood knights are bad ass. They survived. And yeah. wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's not... That's not their normal armor. That's all nice and fancy. Hey, those aren't skeleton. Those are real horses. Mm. Oh, no. They didn't survive out there. He turned to chaos, and everything on him is red. He's decided to join corn. Yeah. And dude, yeah, that's crazy. They won the day, but he had a slew of knights, and it shows you not just a unit of five blood knights without a champion and a ha- and, and or a musician. This is a huge set of them. And oh, yeah. they turned the tide. They had a tidied and one up, and these guys come trashing through everything and kill the remnants of everybody. They tear it up. And Carl finds in Deathclaw go after Harkon on his giant bone dragon. And he's a vampire. He's a master you know, he's a vampire lord. And he's been around him for a long time. He totally should have lost. Right? I like Sigmar's with him, so he's able to 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 hold his own for a few moments. Harkens ranked amongst the foremost warriors of that or any age. Yeah, I mean, that's, Not, yeah. Sigmar is with him because he didn't die instantly. Yeah. So, meanwhile, blood dragons are taking everything, forcing the Empire back. The Reichsguard is trying to stop them. The Reichsguard's getting killed. Then, as they're fighting, and there's this, the, the, the written thing between the two of them as they're fighting is really good. But basically, he stabs Carl Franz right, in the, right, through the, right under the armor plating, right through the guts. And uh, I think it's through the guts. Or maybe it's just, just in his, maybe it's in his chest. But, yeah, either way, Carl Franz is stabbed. 
falls off a death claw from up in the air. And, uh, dude, I'm just picturing that one like a movie, too. Like like one of those epic Lord of the Rings battles is going on. And they look up, and there's death, and there's there's a body falling from it. She's plummeting through the sky. Yeah. Don't forget that Franz did manage to stab Harkon right in the eye. Yes, he did stab so. him right in the eye, uh, which is when he let him go. Because <laughs> he yeah. was holding him and stabbed him, and he puts it in his eye. Um, and then he, he uses his sword, and he breaks one of Deathclaw's wings. So Deathclaw is not able to keep flying and starts spiraling down out of control, down okay. to the ground as well. Uh, and the Empire sees this. The, okay, this is this, and this also is how important Carl Franz is to this army. Talk about inspiring presence. Uh, the Empire soldiers see this, and the entire army fails its panic check. The and, entire yeah, army, started. yeah. They, did, did you guys think at this point that Franz was actually dead? Uh, you know what? I was waiting to see because we didn't see a body yet. How can you survive? But exactly. They, he's falling all that way down. I'm like, how? Uh, and I mean, they've killed so many people so far. It, well, uh, I know. I mean, yeah, I, was I, I was fully expecting him to be dead as well. Yeah. Uh, I love Schwartzhelm's trying to go retrieve the body. And Hellborg's like, they will. Ju- you're going to die. We've been overrun. And... Um, and Helmberg actually has to has to sucker punch him and knock him out and throw him over the uh, throw him over the top of his horse to to get him out of there and he sounds the retreat. Um, but Harkin's not done, and this this is the part I like. This is where 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 Vlad's uh, you know remember remember he found that one guy's mind in the middle of the battle and had him bring the rune fang. Yeah, and here Harkin goes knocks Vlad off his horse. His bone dragon lands on him. Got the got the the big claw on top of Vlad. Vlad said, "Pinned down, can't even speak. He just pinned there, and he starts monologuing." Yeah, because Harkin's the better warrior, but Vlad is the better vampire. So Harkin's monologue. Vlad's looking around, looking around. He says, and he finds the moat, that little bit that controls the bone dragon, and he takes it over. So it pitches Harkin off of it, and then eats him or bites him in half. And and Vlad doesn't waste time monologuing when he gets him off there. He's just like, yep, that's it. A heartbeat's contemplation. <laughs> just to decide to give him his own salute back to him. Yeah. Yeah, stops and looks at him for a second, and then that's it. Uh, and like I said, it's interesting that Harkin, the violent one, the one who was looking for all the glory in battle, has chosen chaos. You know, the one who loves, relishes the violence, whereas Vlad, who only uses violence as his means to an end here and wants to re- recreate Nehekara has chosen to side with Nagash. Um, but after he kills them, he jumps on the zombie or the bone dragon and, and he takes off. And I love the part here that talks about how he's lost and he is not consoled by the fact that it's not his fault. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's not my fault that we lost. We lost. I was supposed to hold this area. And then he actually says he hasn't done it in a long time, but he actually prays that Nagash is indeed the salvation he's claiming to be. Yeah, that part to me was the most interesting part because it shows so much of his human side. If there's, you know, if you can call it that. Right. He's he's just he's atypical for what the other vampires have shown themselves to be in in this this his. You know, like, like Greg has said, this idea that he feels like he needs to be a human-esque sort of... You know, he's he does... Uh, the, the Von Karsteins, really, they're a product of the Empire, it seems, and they mimic it. They need to... 
Certainly Vlad, yeah, and he's the head yeah. of the cast iron. Well, and, and Manfred does too, constantly. Manfred been, constantly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's slightly different ways, but um, Vlad, yeah, Vlad very much, you know, kind of looked up to the way the empire was run. Yeah, so Vlad takes off, and the last bit of the story, and this is great. There's the the the, the you know the they've got the chaos. They're setting up their tents. They're they've gone through. They're doing what they're doing, and you see sneaking through this all is Carl Franz with a broken arm. And he gets over to Deathwing, and he pulls his rune fang and chops through the things. Because you got time for you know, and, and they take off together. But so, so the question is, how did he survive that fall? Through his magic amulet. That the magic of his amulet was the only thing that kept his heart beating. Yeah, he, he, he dude, he's got a four board save. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it okay, was, it was it was fifty fifty. He either survived the fall, or he didn't. Oh, with those odds, I'll I'll take that plummet any day. Yeah. He probably yeah. landed on. You, oh, you know what? Seriously, they, they remember this was a smaller castle, and they were outside of the castle. Now, traditionally, when you have a castle in a city, the outer areas are covered, populated with farms because you need food, right? He yeah. landed on a hay bale. I bet you a million dollars. He landed well, on a hay bale. I, I, you see it in all the movies. Like a softly all the time. thatched roof. Yeah. Or he's the richest, most important person in the whole of the empire. So they thought. Maybe we'll give you something to protect yourself just in case you get hurt. He did break his arm. I mean, it's not like he fell and nothing happened. No, he's still got a sword wound. Yeah. Don't act like, yeah. I, I give it. I, yeah, sure. He's. I buy it. All right. Okay. Well, I, I, I buy it too. <laughs> <laughs> he's such a central character that, okay, I'm willing to look past that. That's all right. You know, and an amulet, I think, will, can only take you so far, but. That said, okay. He's got a four-up ward save. His amulet... Against certain things. Against, like, a sword or an arrow. But if you jump into a volcano, is that four-up amulet going to save you? It's against wounds. A a volcano is not a wound. A volcano is remove the model from the game. That's different, see? But falling on the ground, just I mean, that's just... That's breaking your bones. That's like hitting you... You could be hitting them with a tree, you know? I'm going that way. That's... I don't know. Okay. All right. I I guess, again, I'm not... I'm just going to raise okay. the question, and that's now, it. It doesn't say how the amulet worked. It just said he was saved by his amulet. Fair enough. You know, it could be magical. Maybe it wasn't a ward save. Maybe the amulet expanded into a raft, like in Indiana Jones, and they jump out of an airplane, and it, they land in the raft, and they're okay. They go down the mountain, everything's or, okay. Or a refrigerator that he lands on and survives. Yes. It, it, just it like the expanded and skulls. cocooned him. Or like Groot. It expanded around him and cocooned him and, and saved him from his fall. I think we can say that it cushioned his fall in some magical way. There you go. You know, the, the part that um, I I sort of question, and I know, Dave, you're a big fan of that whole Harkon versus Vlad part, is Vlad just takes over the dragon just like that. Yep. Oh, well, I guess that speaks to Vlad's... Yeah. What's your problem with that, Chris? It just seemed too easy. Well, it did say that Harkin was the better warrior, but Bla- Vlad was the better, like vamp, like his vampiric ability, his magic. You know, his Harkin's a brutal and a great warrior, but he's not great with that whole undead control thing. Whereas that's that that's Vlad's specialty. I mean, he did while he's monologue. He said he looked out for it, he found it, and exerted all of his will. Right. And- there's a lot of talk through this whole book because there's so much about the undead and how it works and it all comes down to will like you know they exert their will upon everyone else 
Now, Vlad has been doing this for as long as quite a few other people. Vlad's will is much stronger than Harkon's. Harkon doesn't care. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can see that. I guess what I thought was if you were to raise the undead, those were yours to control. It's not like if you but raise not, it, someone else can come along and, and, and take but, over control. Yeah, but remember, Nagash raised the whole planet, and he's not controlling any of it because you have to exert your will, and it, that thing failed. The, all the, a lot of this undead are walking around uncontrolled, which is why anybody can pick them up. Now, yeah, granted, but, he raised this, and he—I mean, you are right. I mean, when you when when in the next chapter, when the VC and Tomb Kings are fighting, when I raise all the skeletons around me, they're my skeletons. But that's because my will's on them. Vlad's will is way stronger. Remember, Vlad didn't want to fight with the Nameless because he knew his will was not as strong. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, that was my assumption. Vlad's will was just way stronger because. Okay, I, I just wish they they maybe talked up that that uh, battle of wills a little bit more. I think, to, to point that out, to, to uh, highlight see, that. The thing is, Nagash has been doing it all the time. As soon as Nagash came in, it's like, you're working for me. And it, the characters, the named characters, are like, uh, yeah, I'll bend my will. I'll bend my knee to you. Mm. Um, but everything else was just whoom, straight up. And, yeah. and actually, yeah, doesn't that happen? Where is it? In the next chapter, when Nagash finally starts getting to where he's getting, yeah. And remember those things under the sand and the sepulchral stalkers like jump up to attack him and they just stop. They're like they recognize their true master and then they just backed right off. And it's not because Nagash looked like something they've met before because he didn't look anything like himself. It's that will. They just nope, we, we ain't got it. So maybe I'm, that's that's what I'm going with. Okay, I, I'm I'm happy to roll with it. All right, I just I just raised the question. And I'm not going to stop because of that. So that's the end of chapter four. Now. We're going to come to the end of the chapter, and we're going to take a break. Um, now, I knew they had to fail. Like, I knew how the story was going to end. You know, I knew that, that chaos was going to go rampaging through because it, that, that's part of the story. We know that it goes farther. But I mean, there was actually parts where I kind of felt like they might win the day. Dave, how do we know it goes farther? What? How do we know that? What do you mean? How do we know it goes for, that chaos comes that, that much farther? Well, because if they get defeated and stopped here, then... Just, yeah, going farther and getting defeated are very different things. We don't know. We don't know any of this story. Nagash could make his way all the way back up and the fight could happen in the north of the Empire. That's true. I guess it could. But, after, now, I mean, after they wiped out Kislev, I mean, there was that... Oh, the, you're right. In the last book, I mean, oh, there was all that stuff centered around Kislev. And in this book, they threw you for a loop. I said, nah, that got wiped out right away. We're getting through that. But the fact that they wiped that out right away, I mean, when they came through, I just... I, I just I, I guess I assumed the whole time that they were going to get through and do this. Well, I think that it, it moves the narrative that much further along. I, th- I, I also assumed that eventually they were going to break through. That's a fair assumption, but when it, it becomes one of those things where we start assuming other things through the book, and actually we don't really know a great deal. We can have guesses, educated guesses, like what's going on in, in um, or what's going to happen over with the, with the Dark Elves in Nagaroth. You know, you, you've got educated guesses about what's going to happen there, but the way this is being written, we just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But I mean, there was really exciting times here where I thought they might that the Empire was going to win this. I mean, they actually had me believing they were going to win the day and earn a small break and that the next wave was going to come through. The larger part of the army would come through. But it's like, oh, we beat them now. They're coming. There's more coming, but we beat them. So, I mean, it was, I found this very exciting, this whole chapter. 
I think their break will be the fact that then the chaos don't care about them. Right. So um, we're going to take we're going to have to take a break here. Um, Chris, you're going to have to um, you're going to have to go, aren't you? Yes. We've so, worked pretty uh, long on this. So Greg and I are going to finish out chapter five. Right, which I, I did read uh, a fair portion of it, and it's, it's it's interesting. So I will be tuning in and listening to what you guys have to say about <laughs> Chapter 5. Before we get into it, can we just talk about one little thing here, though, since you're still here? Did you guys like Chapter 4 better or Chapter 5? Not including the very end, because the very end is the payoff on Chapter 5 and the payoff on the whole book. But not including, like, the last four or five pages. Did you like Chapter 4 better or Chapter 5? Uh, for me, I, I I haven't completed five. Okay. But just comparing the two uh, based on what I know, chapter four is far more interesting. Just the the characters and and the intrigue and the developments, uh, who's fighting who. I, that was very very interesting. Chapter five to this point has been a lot of undead fighting undead and well, ships I, arriving and yep. it's cool, but it's not as interesting. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, I think um, yeah, chapter five lacks. Like the the storylines they got in there aren't quite as good for starters. Um, uh, the Neferata one is okay, um, but yeah, there just seems to be a lot of battles doing the same similar kinds of things. And I think by that point, it it is because you've read a lot of battles. So part of it is you read a lot of battles. See, I, I, my beef with Chapter Five, and I mean, dude, I love playing the undead. I love it. You know, it's I, I I play the VC. I have fun. The problem with undead versus undead battles, and this is what I mean because there's so many battles listed here. Is and it actually says at points, I kill a lot of them. You kill a lot of them. We raise them back up. We keep going at it. There's never any sense of. I, I it's it's almost like I don't didn't get a sense of danger or something. It's more yeah. clinical, a battle. Yeah. I mean, in, with the Empire, there was a sense that people were dying. Like, people were losing their lives. Mm. People were being destroyed. There were entire regiments being wiped out. There was big... There was, I mean, it's like, oh, my God, these, this the entire town was wiped out in just a, a quick, short minute, you know? Yeah, whereas with Undead, you're like, oh, I lost that whole unit. All right, just raise it again. Exactly. They're already dead. There's just, there, was like, there was nothing on the line other than the few major characters... And, and even, can, so. yeah, and they can all get healed up too. I mean, if they they can get killed, killed, but well, they can, yeah, but they can even if they get, if, they have to be like destroyed, killed. Because even if they're killed, they're just brought back. Yeah, yeah. But there are a few nice touches in it, um, and I liked it. And the end was great. I mean, the payoff at the end, I was like, oh wow, that was fantastic. Um, I just the the whole Nagash and Cetra thing at the end was great. But I found myself, even as I'm taking notes on Chapter 5, going, oh, really, seriously, can we just get to the next fight? Because it literally, I don't know how many times I read the parts that it was just like, and they killed them, and they raised them, and they right, killed them, right. and they raised them. And I, w- I was losing track. I was yeah. actually getting a bit confused as to who was going where, what was happening. I think they just had too many fights going. They could have told the story a little bit differently. Yeah. I mean, I realize it's undead against undead, and there's only so many rules and so many things. But uh, on that one, I was just like, ugh, okay. For me, personally, I was like, oh, poop. But I didn't, I'm not saying I didn't like it. I'm just saying that compared to Chapter 4, Chapter 4, there was a sense of urgency and a sense of 
some sort of danger in in, in who, which one of these people won or lost. And there is, I mean, with the major characters only, but there was nothing in it for all the people on the field where there was in the other chapter. So, all right, commercial break. We'll come back. Chris, we will talk to you soon. I'll be listening intently. Yeah, fantastic. All right, we'll be back. Cool. From the very start, Carl Franz had known that he was overmatched. Harkin was too swift. The vampire had parried every blow with ridiculous ease, but no longer was there a chance to choose another path. The duel had begun. Now there was only victory or death. Again, Deathclaw dived toward the dragon, and again the Emperor struck at his crimson-armored foe. This time the parry is followed by a lightning-swift riposte. Carl Franz had just enough time to realize that the vampire had been toying him just before his sword pierced his breastplate and ripped deep into his chest. In the same moment, the dragon twisted in midair, seizing Deathclaw in its talons and preventing the griffin from flying its injured master to safety. You're a fool! Harkin spat at his bloodied foe. This is no time for mortal men. This is the hour of the gods and of those who would become gods. Even the gods can fall, Carl Franz breathed, the words ragged as his strength fled his body. Lost in visions of glory, the raving vampire didn't hear the emperor speak nor did he see the rune fang until its point lanced upward, carving a wicked furrow across his gaunt cheek and taking out his left eye. With a howl of pain, the vampire clapped a hand over his ruined face and wrenched his sword from the emperor's flesh. Carl Franz saw the bloody blade come free, but knew no pain, only a desperate tiredness. Falling free of his mount, the emperor closed his eyes and felt the world spin around him. 